Hello, it's 7th of January 2018 and this is episode 54 of Scavengers Horde, a Stoles podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Stars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how fabulous has your Christmas and New Year period been? It's been pretty good. I nice. have seen The Last Jedi a couple more times, and I know you have too. Mm-hmm. We're matching. We're on six <laughs> views each. I wish we could go together. Yeah, same. <laughs> maybe episode nine. Maybe we can wrangle that. Yeah. You never know. There might be some weirdo theatre in New York when we go there showing it, and we could go and see it then. That's true. That maybe there will be showing it places in April. How long was The Force Awakens in theatres? Uh, probably at least six months. Okay. So, so maybe. Yeah, there's a chance, especially in a place like New York, because mm-hmm. a big city, they tend to have theatres that show things for ages and ages. Um, but yeah, we will see. In any case, I'm sure we'll get lots of stars indulgences done. Um, I'm visiting <laughs> New York later in the year, by the way, and Kirsty's also going to New York. So yes, that's what that's referring to. So as I realised, <laughs> without context, that makes no sense. Um, <laughs> I'm sure people want to hear about our vacations. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Well, it's inevitably going to be Star Wars related. So, yeah, that makes it relevant. Oh, the other thing about my week, Star Wars related, that um, I was reading Cobalt Squadron, which is the kind of The Last Jedi prequel with um, Rose and Paige. Oh, is it good? Yeah, it is good. It's a pretty quick read. Um, I think it's just, you know, kind of marketed to young adults. Um, And it's I really needed something that was like more backstory for the Tico sisters. I really love the page stuff, yeah, but it's, it's obviously very short and you don't really hear her speak or anything. So I just wanted more of their dynamic and it's really sweet for that. There's lots of cute interactions and kind of nods towards things that happen in the last Jedi. Um, and yeah, like it, it kind of has that cool sister dynamic that we haven't seen an awful lot of in Star Wars. Like that's what's kind of great about Paige and Rose, but obviously you don't get to see it in terms of them interacting with each other in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of like, it's really sweet because Paige always feels the need to protect Rose, and it's kind of about Rose learning to step out of her big sister's shadow. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, and I'm a big sister, so I was relating to a lot of that. It's oh. very sweet. Yeah, I heard that um, in the book it mentions that Paige really likes animals. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Um, and then she even says later on, that um like her dream animal to see in the galaxy because they're from a planet that doesn't have wildlife like it's really dark and cold and they have to grow their food in artificial light and everything so they hadn't seen any wild animals before they got to Dakar and um it's pretty like heavy-handed but it's kind of cute uh Paige says like if she could see any animal in the galaxy it would be a favia and she would love to ride one so that adds another layer of sweetness to when Rose gets to do that in the movie. Yeah. Um, I will say there's one kind of weird discrepancy with the movie. Mm-hmm. You know how Rose is kind of, and she was like marketed to the audience as this before um, we even got the movie, that she starts out as kind of this nobody in the resistance. And she's kind of, she says it herself, right? That she just works behind pipes all day and she doesn't do talking <laughs> with mm-hmm. resistance heroes. There's a bit in the book that doesn't quite fit with that because Leia knows her. And oh. she like, personally assigns her a mission. She even bonds with her over how she lost Alderaan and they lost their home planet. So, oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's yeah. not nobody. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work, but 
Nah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to give the impression that like Leia does that for everyone in the Resistance, but given Maybe. that there's at least several hundred people in the Resistance, I find that a bit hard to believe. Maybe. She'd have to be spreading herself really thin. So yeah, it, it kind of makes me wish that there had been Rose and Leia interactions in the movie because they'd they'd spoken before and she trusted her with missions. So yeah, yeah. In, yeah, in the just... movie, I think Leia is actively like Finn and whoever the hell that is. <laughs> kind of not in those terms, but I do think it's made clear that she doesn't have a clue who Rose is. Oh, you mean like when they get to crate and they're all shooting at them? Uh, yeah, and I think after like they get out or something, Leia explicitly refers to Finn by name, and then Rose in some other terms indicates she doesn't have a clue who she is. Okay, well. Well, the canon isn't lining up, Pablo. So <laughs> I will be sending indignant tweets. <laughs> no, I won't actually do that. But yeah, it's a cute read. If anyone wants more Page and Rose stuff after the movie, because I I needed more. So oh, awesome. Yeah, no, I really loved like Page especially. Like that character made such an impact in yeah. just a single, like probably just one minute of screen time, and that's quite remarkable. Yeah, so I'd like to pick it up. I also loved Rose, but obviously with Rose, we do get much more of her. So mm-hmm. I think Paige is the character. I'm like, oh, I'd love to know more about her story and get into that point. So. Yeah, there's another book by Jason Fry. I think it's called Bomber Command. And it's I think it might be written from Paige's perspective. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's another good one to look into. Was Culbert Squadron by Jason Fry? No, it's Elizabeth Wine. Oh, yeah, no, you mentioned that. Sorry. I, I got confused then. I was going to ask what the writing style was like, but in preparation for the novelization, but it's obviously written by someone different. Oh, yeah. 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 So that was lots of talk other than the main stuff, because there is, of course, lots and lots to talk about, and there will be lots of stuff to talk about for a long time to come. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in the first part of this podcast is going to be a little news section, because we have a new article from People, which is worth talking about. And then we also have some box office updates. And then after that, we're going to have a proper spotlight discussion, yay, on <laughs> Rey in The Last Jedi. And that's going to involve going very carefully through all her moments in that movie and then breaking them down and thinking about what's going on and, yeah, just talking about them in more detail. So, um, without further ado, I was wondering if you could read out the people's story about the Ryan Johnson interview Kirsty, so I don't want to slaughter my voice so I've been yeah, a bit sick so. <laughs> for sure yeah. cool. as Star Wars The Last Jedi continues to reign supreme at the box office nearly a month into its release one aspect that sparks specific interest from fans are the forced connection scenes between Rey and Kylo Ren in the film the two adversarial characters forge a telepathic life connection in which they can inexplicably see and speak to each other despite being millions of miles away Fans of those captivating force connection moments between Rey and Kylo Ren will be happy to know that the actors went to great lengths to make those scenes as intriguing as possible, including flying to another country just to be off camera for each other. Director Ryan Johnson recently revealed the secrets behind those successful scenes, his thoughts on launching the great romantic tragedy of Star Wars times, and what they might mean for the next installment of the franchise. For those force connections, I needed them to talk, Johnson tells people. And I thought that the hardest thing that Ray could possibly be faced with is being forced to talk to this person that she completely despises. And also the audience, we hate him coming into it. She had to be our proxy, and so that's why in those first few conversations, she is just spitting in his face. Johnson says that the key to the actor's chemistry in those scenes was that they were both physically present on set for each other. 
Every single time we shot one of their sides, the other person was off camera, he explains. Even to the point where Adam flew to Ireland just to be off camera for Daisy's stuff, which was essential because they're such intimate conversations. And that also meant we had to shoot each of those scenes twice, basically, which meant the rehearsal time was really important. And my editor, Bob Duxay, did an amazing job then of making it feel kind of seamless after the fact. Intimate conversations, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, Johnson is well aware that with the action that unfolds in The Last Jedi, he has stoked the flames of the Raylo fandom, fans who hope for a romantic relationship between Rey and Kylo Ren. So we asked him how he feels about being the chief architect behind a potentially devastating romantic tragedy. Well, I'll say the two characters and how they interact, like in The Force Awakens, the interrogation scene, that was one of the most intriguing scenes to me, both on the page and when I saw that scene that JJ created, says Johnson. So I think he set up this very interesting dynamic. And then to get to play with it in this movie, and now to get to hand it back to JJ and see how it gets resolved, I'm really, really excited to see what happens. (laughs) So much validation. (laughs) The movie itself is validation. We we need to kind of just accept that and move on. Oh yeah, but I guess it's like you've had an amazing like roast dinner and you're really full but then <laughs> someone comes out and they give you this really nice dessert as well and you don't need it because you're full but it's still really nice. That's it's what kind this is. Of, yeah, it's, it's just a bit surreal to see all this stuff go mainstream. Like, we'll talk about it a bit later after like talking about the box office success and everything, but just seeing people respond positively to this aspect of the story after two years of like the fandom at large just dismissing it completely. Yeah. Um, it's it's really great because I've spoken to like friends and family who, you know, they didn't pick up on it in The Force Awakens, which is totally fair enough. It's just subtext at that point. Yeah. And they do hate each other as he, well, Ray hates him. Um, so it's, it's really great to see this stuff kind of go mainstream. Yeah, it really is. And literally to see a publication like people call it potentially devastating romantic tragedy. Um, obviously, preferably, it would be nice to not have it end tragically. But even to see it being described in those terms is amazing. And I do think it's accurate to say it's a tragedy in The Last Jedi. Because exactly. it does end tragically. So I know we're, we're going to have many conversations about this, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I think because it's so tragic in the middle chapter and they've got they've really done a great job now of getting people to like notice it and almost root for it so i feel like that means that it can't end quite so tragically because there has to be a payoff yeah Um, and just i understand that people can't see how it's going to get there at this point but that's kind of what the story wants you to be feeling at this point yeah I've seen so many people on Reddit and forums and stuff say that they were really let down that Ray like didn't take Kylo's hand and that they didn't go off and try and make something new together because they felt that would be a really interesting direction and they really wanted to see those two characters pair up after what they'd seen from them before. And I think mm-hmm. that's such a massive step forward because a lot of people before The Last Jedi, they were kind of looking at the Raylo fans as like, what are you seeing in this? And while you and I would obviously take issue with that, I can understand where that amusement was coming from because, yeah, it was subtextual for the most part. But yet now it's in people's faces. The mainstream are picking up on it and the mainstream are getting behind it to an extent. And the mainstream were even disappointed that they were separated in The Last Jedi. And that basically means sky's the limit 
going forward yeah. for JJ. It's really clever how Ryan's done it because we've said before, like they needed to get people to the point where they were rooting for it because it is like that enemies to lovers thing, which can be controversial and it can be executed badly. Like yeah. there are lots of examples I can pull out of people. This is why there was this kind of negative response to it almost because people were like, well, there's no way they could do that in a believable, well-written way because mm. she hates him. So yeah, now they've got they've given us the taste. Like the throne room scene seems to be the one that most people are talking about because you see what they could be together. Like they give you yeah. just a taste and then they snatch it away. So it's ripe for conflict and and people are going to want to see that resolution and whatever happens. Like I mean, it, it's obviously early days. They haven't even started filming it yet, and I'm sure the script is still kind of being worked on. But Ryan says like you can look forward to a resolution, mm. um, which I. <sighs> I've seen a lot of people be like, well, she shut the door on him. So that's the end of that. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, it's just not how it's going to work because it's only yeah. the second part in a story. So. Yeah, that's not how stories work. It is like, so I, I do sometimes I struggle to think what these people envisage is going to happen in episode nine. She's going to kill him, obviously. Well, that is actually what I've seen. So I've watched some like episode nine prediction videos um, and... Like I don't want to sound stereotypical, but when I watch prediction videos from like your very like standard fanboy types, several times they've just seemed completely confused because they're like, "But they've resolved all the main things. The big bad guy's dead, and Luke Skywalker's dead, and I don't understand why they could possibly take it. Like, what's going to happen? Is Ray just going to kick Kylo's ass again? We've already seen her do that, <laughs> and it's like that should tell you that that is not." just going to be what we get in episode 9 <laughs> it's going to be something different and yeah I think people just need more imagination <laughs> I know I sound harsh I know I sound harsh but yeah yeah I, I guess people who think that way will be the most delighted and surprised by the story when they get it <laughs> yeah hopefully because there is a lot of fan pain and butthurt at the last well it is early days and it's been a lot for people to deal with because, like, you know, we we kind of anticipated a lot of the story. Be- not everything, obviously. Um, mm. And I was glad that we had some surprises. But I think to people who were really building Snoke up and thought there was going to be a big Ray parentage reveal and everything, they probably do feel a bit let down. So they yeah. might, might need a little while to get over it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people describe, like, a kind of deflated feeling. Aww. Like, which, yeah, it's sad. It does make me feel sad for them. But, again, I understand where that's coming from because... I do think Ryan took like the rule book for Star Wars and then he basically cracked over his knee and then handed it back with the frame completely different. Star Wars can be anything now. It's just it's not just going to be this like tortured apprentice to this evil dark master and then in the end he gets redeemed by throwing his master off a high incline. You know? Mm. They've taken that option away for the last movie. And by doing that then that means that the last movie is going to have to do something different. And I think people are a bit like, but how? I, I don't understand. <laughs> like, what other story is there in Star Wars? But to me, that is the most exciting thing about it. And yeah, I'm really thrilled. Yeah, and I feel like The Last Jedi, it really does still embody a lot of the core Star Wars values. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gets back to some very pure Star Wars values, especially about like what Jedi should be. Because, like, the whole 
reason why that final Luke fight is so great is because he is so calm and he is completely defensive and he is completely collected and confident about why he's there and what he's doing. He's not like an emotional mess like Kylo. Mm -hmm. He's there with peace and purpose like Leia and Rey say at the end. Yeah, definitely. And that's what makes it so perfect. But I think that's also made it frustrating because I think other people had a different vision for what a Jedi should be. But I think Ryan's version is actually purer in a way. So, yeah. It's very subjective. And when I say these things, it's not about trying to tell any one person that they're wrong for taking issue with how things like that were handled. Like, if you had an issue with that, you had an issue with that, and it's not my place to tell you you're wrong for feeling a certain way. It's just from my point of view, I think it was really well done and fitting. Yeah. I mean, coming back to this article, it's kind of funny thinking back to, like, last... Was it last spring or the year before? When... um, Yeah, it was 2016, right? When we saw them flying out to Ireland, and and then Mm. we had all those reports coming that there was supposed to be this big duel between Rey and Kylo and, <laughs> and Luke was going to fight the Knights of Ren and all this. And I was really yeah. excited to see that. I wanted another showdown. I'm sure we'll get it in nine. Um, yeah. But yeah, that we didn't see them fight each other. They fought side by side. Uh, I saw um, like a tweet or a Reddit post about that and it was like people had all these visions of like Rey and Kylo having this badass lightsaber duel but Adam Driver actually flew out to Ireland just to hold Daisy Ridley's hand. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, they had to, it totally makes sense that they recorded these scenes together because how would you get that level of intimacy and connection? Like, you have to be looking into the other actor's eyes and feeling yeah. that emotion together. Um, so, yeah, it's not too surprising, but I I like that they're just kind of drawing attention to, to it now after the, after the film because to an extent they kind of had to like vaguely allude to the fact that Daisy had been filming more with Adam and less and, and with Mark um, and less with John this time, but they couldn't really say why. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, it makes me really excited for the Blu-ray because based on all the stuff, I reckon there's a really good chance of getting a whole feature out on this stuff. You know, the whole force connection scenes and how yeah, they were done. So. And God, that that behind the scenes footage is going to be so great. It's like I want to know, for example, if... Like when Adam was off camera to help Daisy with her performance, was he in full Kylo Ren gear when he was doing that? I'd expect so because oh, I'd shirtless. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Not quite full Kylo Ren gear. <laughs> Adam strikes me as quite method, so I'd f- I think he would go like in full costume or take the costume off as required. <laughs> I mean, if that's kind of the mood you were going for, that she'd feel uncomfortable looking at him that way, then. Yeah, maybe they would. Oh my god. <laughs> Behind the scenes footage. Uh, I would be interested to see how close they were standing. Because you know when they, they're having these connections and he's like looking out at, at the hangar and then turns around and starts walking towards her. It's like, how close do they actually get? Because you can't mm. tell. You can, only, you can only kind of see like where their eye lines are and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you never see them together. So, well, apart from the hand-holding. They go into some really, really intense close-ups of Adam's face for that particular Force Bond scene. So that did suggest physical proximity to me, mm-hmm. but it's so hard to say. <sighs> um, <laughs> right, have we said all we want to say about the article? Yeah, I think so. Um, I just, I guess it's a, it's interesting 
And I, I like that Ryan is saying, no, I didn't coin this dynamic. It was already mm. there. So yeah. he's kind of encouraging people to go back and watch The Force Awakens and see where this stuff was established. Because obviously it was subtle. And we've dedicated an entire podcast to talking about that scene. Like, there's so much there. Yeah. Um, but obviously a lot of people missed it because there's a lot going on in The Force Awakens. And if you think these people are just going to remain enemies, then, yeah, maybe you wouldn't see it. But hopefully people go back and kind of do see this intriguing push and pull and how he's fascinated by her and gets really close to her face and is kind of distracted by her her dreams and that. And again, that's stuff that's referenced in The Last Jedi. Um, so, yeah, he's saying, like, I didn't start this and JJ's going to come back and take it somewhere else. So mm. it's all good stuff. Because part of the criticism, and not just related to the Ray and Kylo stuff, but just generally, people have been saying that Ryan produced a film well, he gave us a movie that doesn't really feel like it is stuff that was established by The Force Awakens. It almost feels like an entirely different story. Obviously, mm. we don't agree with that, um, but our reading was not common. So, Yeah. No, that's re- a really good point. I loved seeing Ryan like refer people back to like The Force Awakens and the interrogation scene because, yeah, lots of people are suggesting that oh Ryan just came in and did completely his own thing. He threw out what JJ had done. And you and I obviously feel differently about that. But yeah, I think it's important to point that out for people who even never saw like that special connection in the first place or maybe even like actively deny there or anything subtextual going on there. Because yeah, he's just saying, No, I was actually building on groundwork that JJ laid. And now JJ gets to build on the foundations I've laid. So yeah, mm-hmm. let's wait and see. <laughs> yeah, because I've even seen people who are unhappy with eight say, "Well, at least JJ will come back and steer it in a different direction for nine. But I know there was all this plot gate talk, but really they've been in communication and working with each other. And JJ had seen Ryan's script; he loved it. Ryan was working from JJ's script and the dailies. Like it's all connected. So yeah, exactly. Um, right. Then the next thing to talk about is that the worldwide box office for The Last Jedi now stands at $1.2 billion. Woohoo! Yay! I feel like I should have done that in like a Dr. Evil voice. (laughs) 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 1.2 billion squillion dollars! (laughs) I can't, I can't, I should have done that. Oh, that's so cringe. Um, But yeah, it's making loads and loads of money, Mm -hmm. um, which is nice to see. Um, So yeah, there's been... Seriously, there's been so much discourse surrounding the box office of this film. I know. I saw that panicked Forbes article, and I kind of got the impression the author just kind of didn't like the movie and was almost... Seriously, (laughs) there is an author called Rob Kane... That was it, and yeah. He is a contributor to Forbes. He is not a paid okay. Forbes like author. So he like signed up to Forbes and he kind of basically self publishes this stuff. He's not like a Forbes employee. Okay. So it's like a Huffington Post kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um and yeah, he clearly has a massive bee in his bonnet about the last Jedi. He <laughs> hates it. Like literally his like headlines and stuff, they're the most hyperbolic things in the world. Like, I want to find some of them because they're actively funny to me. Um, let's see. So, Last Jedi Weekend crushed by low-budget Chinese rom-com X-File 3 in its second frame. Okay, so that's the first one. 
Last Jedi has set its first box office record. Biggest ever sequel to sequel plunge. Four key reasons Star Wars The Last Jedi is a catastrophic flop in China. And these are literally free articles he's published in the last 24 hours. Wow. This is a man with an agenda. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's really fascinating to me. It's like, I, I think you should do something else. You're going to be very angry right now. I think you might want to go away and breathe. <laughs> There's an initial premise in there that kind of makes sense because the drop-off for the second weekend and was mostly related to the timing um, of Christmas and everything. But then it made a ton of money after that. Didn't it have like a really successful Christmas day? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, chill. It's Star Wars. It's going to make a lot of money, and it has. It's made a hell of a lot of money. I think there's a valid argument to be made for the fact that Disney may have been expecting more money because, like, The Force Awakens made so much money, and I expect they were looking in the region of somewhere between Rogue One and The Force Awakens. I don't, for the life of me, think they ever imagined it would hit that Force Awakens number, and it would never exceed it. That's just insane. But I think they may have been hoping for something like 1.4 billion, 1.5 billion. It might get there. I mean, there's still, we've got a long time left, right, before it stops showing in theatres. I've been looking at people's projections and it's getting past 1.4 billion is very unrealistic. Oh, okay. At this point, it would be very, very hard for it to do. When you look at how much like previous stars movies had earned, like in terms of a percentage of their full gross by this point in their runs. Okay. So yeah, but again, it's, that's fine. It's fine to argue that it might have underperformed relative to expectations but to act like it's a box office disappointment or like it's a disaster on the level of Batman v Superman, which I've literally seen some people try to argue, that is completely ridiculous. It's patent nonsense. It has made over a billion dollars and it's one of the top grossing films in history, both internationally and domestically. So mm-hmm. people just need to like chill out. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. It was never going to make anywhere close to The Force Awakens, in my opinion, because that yeah. was an event movie. It was the first one in 10 years. And it yeah. had Han and Leia, and people thought that Luke would be back for it. Um, so, yeah, that was just never going to happen. But, I don't know. It's not too shabby, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's really good. I, I see this phenomenon, like, in recent times where it's not okay to just dislike something or be angry with something, there needs to be validation for that opinion. And I think for a lot of people who didn't like the movie, they kind of looked to the box office as validation for their negative opinion of the movie. So it's like, well, it's got to be bad because it's had these drop-offs from week to week or whatever. You know, it's like a way of reinforcing that negative opinion. But I, like, I don't understand... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you don't like a movie, that never... If I don't like a movie, I don't go and look at the box office and be like, oh, well, at least other people didn't like it too. You know, it's Mm. just it's not for me. I think with Star Wars, it's different because people are very territorial over it. Like, a lot of the distress and upset I'm seeing from people is because of things like, how dare they do this to Luke Skywalker? You know, because for a lot of the people who disliked it, Luke Skywalker was their childhood hero... And they just can't 
deal with the fact that in The Last Jedi he's this bitter, disillusioned old man. And again, that, that is strange to me personally because the whole point of Luke in that film is that he has an arc. So he starts off bitter and disillusioned, but then he goes for a journey and he ends the film a hero and the perfect Jedi, to be honest, and probably one of the most powerful Jedi to have ever lived. So, yeah, like he ends it in this amazing fashion. So I'm not sure what the issue is so much, but there clearly is an issue for other people. And yeah, that's their prerogative, but I don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll dedicate a whole episode to Luke's journey, but I can, I can understand why people might not be happy with it if they have certain expectations. And there are parts of it that even I take a little bit of issue with. And I think that's mostly down to kind of the weird tonal mix that the movie had to navigate. Um, Like just, just to quickly say like the end interactions with him and Kylo, I really love them. But at the same time, it like weirdly glosses over some really intense trauma that he put Kylo through. (laughs) Like, okay, I I did think about murdering you in your sleep, but see you around kid. (laughs) Like, yeah. oh my god, he is still operating under the impression that you tried to kill him. Maybe tell him that you didn't. <laughs> yeah, like, Kylo is really working through some intense trauma there, Luke. And I think it'd be nice you could show some sensitivity towards that. Yeah, what what could be the best thing that I could do right now? I know, I'll taunt him. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've talked that to Dave, and lots of other people have and will continue to do so. Um, so yeah, let's proceed. And we have a spotlight on Ray. And yeah, so as I mentioned before, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the movie scene by scene using my laborious and immaculately written notes because I worked hard on these people. Um, <laughs> they're very detailed. Sorry, I'm not laughing like, haha. As- <laughs> Lol. I-, I didn't put any work into the phone. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to get your turn, Kirsty. You're definitely doing the next ones. I realise what I probably should have done is collected some images for us so that we could like kind of visually walk through her story. Because mm. you know, we've both seen it a decent amount of times, so we should be okay. But there's just so much going on and she goes on such an intense journey that yeah. it'd be helpful to have some visual pointers. But I think I'll be okay. I can't like, erase Luke drinking titty milk. Oh my, my god. Mind, any time you can have a whole episode dated- dedicated to that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is... What is this about, Ryan? Let's have a whole episode that is just like a Freudian analysis of The Last Jedi. That would be amazing. Oh I my saw, god. I saw Mark Hamill like to tweet. <laughs> what did he do? Someone said that Mark and um, Luke was really mad because um, <laughs> the fact that Ray was there meant that he couldn't drink straight from the teat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he liked it i'm like mark no stop i saw an amazing cartoon and it was like of the um siren or whatever the monster's called and it was like showing her as like this like person in like a house share of these other weirdo monsters it's like oh i'm just gonna go off for a retreat on an island by myself and sunbathe without like weirdos ogling me all the time <laughs> and then it cuts to Act Two, and she's lying there sunbathing. <laughs> and then she looks down, and Luke is there with like, milk. <laughs> I also saw <laughs> Luke tried to milk Ben <laughs> because he was shit. 
so many nipples in this movie. So many nipples, so many vaginas. Sorry, guys, we're going to be talking a lot about sex because Ray's journey is a lot about sex. I think it might be time to put the mature rating on iTunes. Turn back now if that's not your your jam. Although if you watched The Last Jedi and you liked it, it's got to be kind of your jam. (laughs) Yeah, or or ask for parental permission if you're a minor. Very, very important. That's awakening. Gosh, I don't want to be responsible for giving anyone that. Jesus. Hey, Ryan, Ryan did it. We're just talking about it. Okay? <laughs> yeah, this Not is on us. <laughs> okay, lots lots of podcasts will probably gloss over this because, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, sex can be uncomfortable for people to talk about. So go and find another podcast if that's not what you want to listen to. Be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just have some water. Yeah, he just put it all right there in our faces. So. But still in a way that people could ignore it if they didn't want to see it or they're not ready to see it. I don't think they can ignore the tits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I'm so sorry. That took a very low tone. Um, I need to choose the high ground from this point forward. Um, right. So talking about Ray's journey in The Last Jedi which includes sexual moments and non-sexual moments, um, as we were going to. Um, the first thing that happens with Rey is that she goes to Luke, continues from the end of The Force Awakens, as you'd expect, and then Luke takes the saber. He looks at it for a moment, and then he tosses it back over his shoulder. <laughs> I loved it. I this was it so hilarious. <laughs> This was a really popular meme on Tumblr for like two years. That ah, mm. oh, imagine if he just threw it away. She gives it to him, and then it actually happened. I love Ryan's brain. <laughs> like he did it in the most like flippant way as well, which to me made it better. <laughs> He's like, "Yep, nope." And like I've seen lots of people take issue with it, and I can understand because. It's like built up as this really dramatic, intense moment at the end of The Force Awakens. And then to see it treated with so much levity in The Last Jedi, I think that is jarring for some people. But for me, it worked because like, Luke is a Jedi and he's really meant to be above such things. Like His defining moment in Return of the Jedi is throwing his lightsaber away. Exactly. Because he refuses to fight. Yeah, exactly. It's just a call back to that. It's obviously played almost like a punchline, so it does feel different. It doesn't feel like this dramatic moment like it did in Return of the Jedi. But it's evoking the same kind of mindset. It's like, no, I don't need this weapon. Like, this is not me. (laughs) It's also a really great way to quickly set the tone. Like, oh, this isn't going to be what you were expecting from the end of The Force Awakens, just FYI. Yeah. Um, And yeah, because Rey is our avatar in the story like we're we're experiencing it with her she goes with all of these heavy expectations and it's like built up at this this like really serious moment that she's you know making this grand gesture to this jedi master and he throws it away and she just looks she must look as confused as the audience did yeah and i like that after that like luke really is like full-on grumpy old man mode and he just like walks away and (laughs) He's pretty mean to her. Yeah, he's really mean. Like, give her the silent treatment. (laughs) Like, what? Go away. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, the way she says in that, like, little voice, like, Master Skywalker. (laughs) She just ignores her. It's like, how can you ignore her, you monster? 
He's so earnest, yeah. I mean, at that yeah. point, obviously, he didn't he didn't know that Han had died or anything. Like, he had no context for why she was there. Um, yeah. Yeah, he'd cut himself off from the force. So, to his perspective, it was like, he was just there minding his own business, and then some random girl turns up with his lightsaber that he he rejected all of that. So, no thank you. Go away. Yeah. Exactly. He doesn't really care where she comes from so much at first, I don't think. Obviously, he develops curiosity. Mm-hmm. But at first, he's just like, I sense you're associated with trouble and I don't want trouble. <laughs> Go away. Um, yeah, and then I think the next beat is when Ray gets Chewie to break down the door to Luke's <laughs> Like, Like, I've seen this everywhere and it's so true. Chewie is like the best father figure Ray has in these Seriously. Movies. He drops her off to see her boyfriend. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's passing on messages to friends. He's yeah. great. Love Uncle Break- Chewie. He breaks down doors on command. <laughs> very patient, very understanding. Exactly as a good dad should be. Um, yeah, so they burst into the hut, and like Ray is obviously trying to explain like how bad things are and how much they need him. And but but for Luke, it's all just about okay. If Chewie's here and if the Falcon's here, then where the hell is Han Solo? And then we're obviously we obviously don't get Luke's reaction to learning that Han has died. But I think you can tell that when we cut back to Ray and Luke after says so a cutaway to Kylo Ren meeting Snoke. Um, when we cut back to Luke, you can tell that he feels really crushed by it. And it probably adds to his sense of um, defeat and responsibility for everything that happened. But again, like, I don't want to go into that too much. We're probably going to have a whole separate Luke episode where we mm. go into all his psychology. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people would theorize that that would be one of the things that would turn it around for him. Because mm. it's like really like, oh, wow, things have gotten real if he knows that Kylo has killed his father. But yeah. it, it doesn't really seem doesn't really seem to be the turning point for him. Obviously, it's seeing Leia's hologram that changes things a bit more. Yeah. Um, so for Rey, the next thing is that she refuses to give up, even though Luke clearly has absolutely no interest in playing ball or going back with her. And she starts following Luke around the island. <laughs> and she gets some very weird insights into Luke's daily life. <laughs> um, which we have previously alluded to. So Luke milking the Fala siren, which is a bit of Star Wars nerd terminology that you'll get from the visual dictionary. <laughs> um, and then also spearing a, f- a fish on a pole. Um, because, yeah, that's apparently what Luke's life is now. One of my favourite... like. I know everyone talks about the the milk for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but one of my favorite moments is when she yells "careful" and he looks back at her. And he looks so pissed off. Like, please mm-hmm. go away. I know what I'm doing. I'm Luke Skywalker. I can be safe. Is that when he's on the pole? Yeah, he like reaches yeah. the other side of the cliff and just looks back at her after she's yelled at him to be careful, mm-hmm. and he just has yeah. this really funny grumpy expression. To me, that expression, it wasn't even grumpiness. It was just more this expression of, like, manic. Like, ha, 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 look what oh, I really? okay. Yeah. For me, it was like, oh, just go away. <laughs> I think, again, Mark Leave does a great job. Like, it's really layered. So I think we're probably both right to an extent. Um, because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot there. And I love the imagery of Ray following Luke back in the rain as he carries that huge fish over his shoulders. Uh-huh. Like, that shot, that gave me such huge Tempest vibes. Like yeah. The idea of like this older mental figure and this younger girl, and they're both trapped on this stormy island, and 
oh, it's all just so magical and mythic. I love it. Mm -hmm. So great. Um, and yeah, then like we get like our first real like solo Ray moment to an extent because um she's still dealing with Luke's rejection, and she hears whispers from the famous tree, which we spent <laughs> so much time talking about. And it's good the tree was important, but because we were completely off and thinking that Kylo and the Knights turned up, it wasn't used in the ways we thought it was going to be used, um, which is a good thing. I enjoyed having my expectations subverted. Um, but yeah, she's drawn inside the tree by these like whispering voices that seem very mystical and basically lure her in. And then she has a look at the books that are inside and Luke appears in the entrance and he finally shows an interest in her. So he's clearly been broken down to an extent by the fact that she is so persistent and she's so determined to get him on board. Um, and we have a little exchange between them that I'll read out. Uh, should I be Luke and you be Ray, Kirsty? Sure. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Where are you from? Nowhere. No one's from nowhere. Jakku. All right. That is pretty much nowhere. Why are you here, Ray from nowhere? The Resistance sent me. We need your help. The First Order's become unstoppable. Why are you here? Something inside me has always been there. But now it's awake. And I'm afraid. I don't know what it is or what to do with it. And I need help. Please call us Lucasfilm if you ever need <laughs> other studies. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and, to be serious I love this exchange because it really drills down to something that's really important which is the question of why was Ray the individual sent to get Luke like this yeah. because that was one of the main questions for a lot of people after The Force Awakens like well if she's just this random girl with no connections to the Skywalkers why was she of all people sent on this mission and I think this shows Ray's personal reasons for wanting to go and I really like that because it's so easy for these characters to be reduced to their allegiances to one side or the other so having it be about Ray's personal motives and the fact that she's been dealing with all this stuff since she was a child and not really understanding it like that's really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I really love that all the other time she's been kind of I mean she says it right here like the resistance sent me we need your help it almost the way she delivers those lines is very flat and lifeless and it almost seems mm. like she was rehearsing all these different ways to kind of persuade him mm. and they're just things that don't ring true and he sees through all of that he's like okay yeah 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 cut the crap <laughs> what yeah. are you doing here like why because he like she doesn't look like she's a member of the resistance she's not a military person yeah. so what's her what's her investment um and obviously everything that she went through in The Force Awakens, like she became very attached to Han. She discovered that she was force sensitive through her interactions with Kylo. She now has this personal vendetta against Kylo because of what he did. Um, so, yeah, all that stuff is really what matters. And yeah. he kind of helps her bring that out because he's like, no, that, that that isn't enough. Like, what's the story with you? Yeah. And I think that's really fascinating. And is evidence that Ryan really cared about Ray, and like he's often said, he's interested in digging into these characters and understanding what makes them tick beneath the surface. So I think, like you said, Kirsty, all the stuff about the Resistance sent me, we need your help, the First Order's become unstoppable. That's all the surface, Ray. Mm -hmm. And that 
level of Ray is kind of boring <laughs> to an extent. Um, so, well, yeah. she's, she's playing a role that she feels was kind of thrust on her. She's probably not even that conscious of it, right? Like all the way oh, through yeah. The Force Awakens, things just kind of happened to her. And she before that, before she left Jakku, she was just kind of running on autopilot in survival mode. And that's almost what she's still doing. Um, yeah. That she's not really thinking about what she wants and what you know where she's going to find her belonging. So yeah. this is the movie where as Daisy said this in interviews before. She actually has time to figure things out and like think about what it is that she cares about and why she's here. So yeah, it is much more interesting. Definitely, it's just important to remember that f- probably three days before this point, she was still on Jakku. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's happened in this crazy concentrated time frame. And so, yeah, it's completely natural that she's still floundering a bit and she's like, I kind of think I know what I'm doing here, but not really. So, yeah, I like that. Um, Right. And yeah, then shortly after this moment, then Luke finally gives in and he agrees to train Rey and says he will give her three lessons, of which we only see two. And I wanted to mention this because I noticed something on one of my endless rewatches of the film. <laughs> that I thought was quite interesting that you get a shot of Luke looming over a sleeping Ray mm. and then her startling awake to find him looming over her like that and that parallels to Ben Solo waking up to find Luke standing over him but obviously when Luke was standing over Ben Solo he had a lightsaber um, and I just really like that because I think when you see that moment, knowing what Luke did to Ben, then it does create a vaguely like sinister impression. Yeah. Like, I, I don't for a moment think that Luke meant really harm <laughs> in that moment, but it's like all about that echoing and that that's the same man who was in both those places. Yeah, I do think there are meant to be these little echoes and you can, you can pick up on them or not. Um, because when like Ben keeps asking her, like, oh, did he... Did he tell you about that night? Uh, it's obviously really important to him that Ray finds out the truth. And you almost get the impression because he says like when he's going through the flashback, he sensed my power as he senses yours. Mm. It's almost like, is he thinking that Luke might try to kill Ray? Yeah, I, I definitely think that might be there beneath the surface. It's obviously never explicitly stated, but I think it's clear that Kaido was really, really frightened of his uncle. You know, he's terrified of him. Like, before The Last Jedi came out, we had those two IMAX posters, one for the light side, one for the dark side, and Luke is in the background of both of them. And I said that I thought Luke was in the background of the dark side poster because he's Kylo's villain. Mm-hmm. He's the person that Kylo perceives as the villain in his story. And I think that came through so, so strongly in the movie itself, because like Luke is probably like the boogeyman haunting his dreams. <laughs> Right, and of course he's not, because Snoke says his true enemy, and then he kills Snoke. But Kylo's perspective, it is Luke that's been haunting him. Yeah, exactly. And he's afraid for Rey on that level, because he's thinking, well, if Skywalker reacted like that to the darkness in me, what will he do when he finds this darkness in Rey? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, poor, poor Kylo, always having people trying to kill him in his sleep, because Hux <laughs> almost does the same towards the end. Yeah, he's going to be a light sleeper, I think, as a I mean, supreme leader. Okay, so at the beginning of the movie, he looks absolutely exhausted, obviously, he's got like bruises and his scar healing up and everything, and it's like, yeah, no wonder he looks like he hasn't had a decent night's sleep in a few years. <laughs> poor baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let the woobification begin. And it's coming from inside the house. <laughs> Mouse house. <laughs> um, right, then we have our first false bond moment. And oh my god, there's so much to say. Um, yeah. You so, knew about the false bond going in, right? Did I know about the false bond? Yeah. I knew very vaguely. Because of the Visual Dictionary leaks, right? Yeah, I knew the Visual Dictionary leak. I didn't know anything beyond that. Okay. So the extent of it astonished and pleased me (laughs) (laughs) to a great extent. Um, I I remember (laughs) when I was watching it for the first time in the Royal Albert Hall, I think the the attendant took the first full spawn scene as an opportunity to come up and ask me if I wanted to move seats. And she was being very well-meaning and kind because I was in an awkward position. But at that point, I really did not want to move seats. So I was like, no, I'm fine. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to watch it. Oh, God. Yeah, it's so good. Um, But, yeah, I felt this first full spawn scene was played so, so well by both characters. And obviously going to mainly talk about Ray. So with Ray, she wakes up and she's like blinking in the sunlight and Daisy does great sleep acting. <laughs> she, I know that sounds like a really bizarre thing to say, but the way she wakes up and she's all kind of like sleepy and disorientated and it's like, meow, meow, meow. you can tell that it just feels very genuine, you know, mm-hmm. and she plays it really well. And then I like just the gradual dawning awareness of Carlo's presence and then the moment he like evidently becomes solid for her, the first instinct is to reach for her blaster and go bam, bam, like and try and shoot him. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's so perfect and in character, especially because it's the blaster Han Solo gave her. Yeah, she always shoots first. <laughs> shoot first, ask questions later. Oh, I, I was cleaning my blaster and it went off. <laughs> <laughs> excuse for what just happened with Kylo <laughs> is so perfect. She really does sound like she, something like a bit freaky and potentially sexual has just happened. <laughs> and she really does not want to talk about it with this old man. And, and these nuns around. <laughs> it's so amazing. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so she does not want to talk about her intimate encounters with Kylo, basically. Yeah, it's really interesting that she just has no inclination to show, to tell Luke. Because mm. you think, oh, well, well, I'm really freaked out by this. What the hell is this? I'm yeah. connected to my enemy. I just saw him. and But no, she doesn't tell him. I definitely think that adds to the whole forbidden love, like clandestine meetings feel of it. Because it's kind of like, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. should probably tell a responsible adult, but... I'm kind of interested. I want to see where this goes. Yeah. I think it's really funny because, um, and they played this off in some of the articles, like the Entertainment Weekly one, like really built up the idea that Kylo hated Ray and he was out <laughs> revenge, even though he had this certain admiration for her. This but garbage picker! He has no aggression to her at all. Like, he's like, None. oh, it's you. What's going on here? Can mm. you see my surroundings? Because all I can see is you. Yeah, he's just fascinated. He's very calm and very chill. I mean, he's, and... his first instinct is to be like, you will bring Luke to me. But yeah. it's like, well, very quickly, it's clear that that, that won't happen. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, okay, let's, tr- let's try something else. Let's try talking and figuring this out. 
He looks embarrassed, to be honest. Yeah, he like rolls his jaw kind of weirdly. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, that didn't work out. Let's um, move on from that. <laughs> yeah, but then Ray is like, you're going to pay for what you did. And it just really sets the tone, right? If you bring out elements of that, like, she hates him at this point. She's like, mm. go away. If you're right here, I'm going to try attacking you. Um, mm. She can't understand why he's such a monster. When he had everything, he had parents that loved him. He talks about that in the next one, I suppose. But yeah, Daisy yeah. like delivers those like insults to Kylo much the same way she delivers those lines to Luke about the Resistance sent me. We need your help. The First Order's become unstoppable. Like it's still quite flat, and it's very much like this is what I- I'm expected to say. This is what I should be saying to my enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all like box ticking. And you can tell that there's more like complex feelings and confusion going on beneath the surface, but she's saying what she feels she should say in that in that situation. And yeah, obviously later on it changes and it becomes more nuanced and she starts asking questions. But at first it's very much like she's sticking to this like good girl script. Like, oh gosh, I'm dealing with this awful monster. What should I say? Mm-hmm. And it's just before her first lesson. It so it's an interesting contrast there. Because exactly. it's almost like the force bond moments for Ray are just as much that they they teach her just as much about the world and her place in it as the lessons do, really. Mm. Definitely, I know when the teaser poster with the huge faces of Luke and Kylo came out, a a lot of our read of that was that Luke and Kylo, Luke and Kylo, were kind of like both potential teachers for Ray, mm-hmm. and that a plot of the film might be her kind of having to choose between them. And yeah, that that basically happened. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the story to an extent. Um, so yeah, I think you're right that the juxtaposition of the Force Bond scene and the first lesson is very much intentional. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right. So then, in Luke's first lesson, I think we get some really interesting insight into the Force and into the characters as well. And it starts off with like Ray basically repeating her usual spiel. She says, Master Skywalker, we need you to bring the Jedi back because Kylo Ren is strong, the dark side of the force. Without the Jedi, we won't stand a chance against him. <laughs> Kylo Ren is dark. <laughs> and it's so cute because she's oh, literally Ray. just seeing Kylo Ren like sliding about in his socks like a teenage boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's strong, I guess. It's like, I don't Stand and it's weird and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ray, sorry, I'm doing her a bit of a disservice. But um... yeah, so again, it's continuing that quite flat register and in repeating these pleas. And Luke actually forces her to drill down and start thinking about things in a more interesting and nuanced way. So Luke asks her, like, what do you think the force is? And she replies, it's power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that because that's almost like a parallel with what I expect a lot of people in the audience would think the Force is, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Especially the children in the audience. And I think that fits with this whole idea of Ray being very much a stand-in for the viewer. Like she asks the questions that they ask, and in many ways she has the same expectations as the viewer. So, yeah, makes her a useful point of view character. Mm-hmm. Then Luke goes on to tell her, impressive, every word in that sentence was wrong. <laughs> Again, tough love, I think. 
Um, and it's also worth mentioning that that line to Ray, he also repeats pretty much the same line to Kylo right at the end of the film when he confronts him on crate. So it just continues this idea of teaching and Luke at the end of the film is trying to teach Kylo as we've seen him teach Ray earlier in the film. So Ray and Kylo, they're both children to an extent. Like they're along they're at different stages in their journeys to adulthood and they both still need guidance and mentorship. And Luke is offering that to both of them essentially. I think the whole point of The Last Jedi is that Rey like, comes into herself and matures to the point where she doesn't really need the active mentorship anymore. And I think really, by the end of the film, Kylo probably needs help more than Rey does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's he's more lost than ever. Yeah. Um. Exactly. So I hope Luke will ghost tutor him, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's we probably shouldn't be talking about this part, but like, it's great that Kylo kills Snoke. Obviously everyone was cheering for that. That's a big step forward for him, but he is kind of left, um, more Like he doesn't have anyone around him now. That's if he has Hux. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole first order that doesn't probably trust his judgment after Kray. And yeah, yeah. he's going to be a bit. Definitely not nurturing presence. <laughs> No. Um, yeah, no, so I love it. Like, it all like, feeds into these blended themes and everything. Um, and then there's like a lovely scene where um, Luke asks Ray to reach out in the force. I love also, this part. Oh, is that the part she reaches out her hand? Yeah, because that's what she's seen. She's seen Kylo using the force. Like, that's her frame of reference. And he's yes. the one who does that. That's like his signature move, you know? That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. So yeah, that's her reaching out the same way she's seen him doing, to, like, and for nefarious purposes. Mm. Um, and obviously, it's supposed to be a joke too because he's not saying literally reach out. And I, I like that Daisy got some comedy in this one because in the Force Awakens, even though the joke is kind of uh, to, it's not on like Ray's not in on the joke. Um, yes, but still, it's kind of nice to, for her to get some laughs like that because I don't feel like she had an awful lot for that in The Force Awakens. She was very serious and earnest. Yeah, um, and she's definitely a participant in the comedy. It's not purely at her expense, although kind of is. <laughs> it is a little bit, but yeah. Can, yeah, the way she delivers the line is really great. Like, oh, you meant like... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was so Daisy to me. That was more Daisy than Ray, <laughs> which I like. It was. Cause Ray's very well spoken, but you can tell Daisy's natural accent kind of slips in there. yeah and then there's just a beautiful um like exchange between luke and ray about what ray can sense um so we get that famous line from luke reach out with your feelings what do you see ray the island life death and decay that feeds new life warmth cold peace violence and between it all Balance, an energy, a force. And inside you, inside me, that same force. And yeah, then Luke goes on about saying, yeah, no, the force belongs to everyone, mate, not just the Jedi. <laughs> Don't think that. That's bad. Leads to bad things. And I think it's really beautiful. It's a great scene and it's very well conveyed visually. In the montage like scene where Ray is like de- delivering like her monologue on what she sees through the force when she says warmth 
Like, I don't know about you, but when I see that scene, like, I hear, like, a woman gasping in quite, like, a sensual way. Do you do you get that from that moment? Like, you might I... not remember that specific moment. It's very brief. So. I haven't noticed, but I'll have to listen out for it. Listen out for it. It kind of struck me as, like, a bit of foreshadowing for, like, the, I guess, the sexual awakening that Ray goes on through this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much like a vision of like heat I think it's like shows sunshine like on something again this is probably going to sound so embarrassing and awkward like six times down the line when we all have the blu-ray and we're all looking at it and it's like yeah no that's not really what's there but this is just what my memory is telling me and... no, that's fair enough like there's going to be all sorts of little easter eggs that people pick out yeah um... and I was just thinking if my memory there is right and I don't have some kind of memory issue then I think that's interesting because Ray is experiencing the Force in a very personal way because, yeah, part of her experience on the island is, like, feeling things emotionally and that warmth think, isn't just yeah. about the physical warmth of the sun. It's about other kinds of warmth. I do feel like that's kind of what the sequel trilogy is alluding to because with The Force Awakens, you know, you have... The Force Awakening in these two characters, Ray and Kylo, as J.J. Abrams said. Mm-hmm. And then this one really deepens that. And it's discovering what that awakening is all about and what it means for the characters. Not just regarding the Force, but I guess you can say it's the Force because the Force connects everything. But about them as individuals and finding their identity. Mm. And how and how they relate to things and to each other. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and we'll get to it in a second, but I feel like that dark cave (laughs) (laughs) hello freud i see her (laughs) i know sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and sometimes a hairy wet cave (laughs) (laughs) oh i love ryan so fucking much yeah me too this is amazing that this is all there (laughs) (sighs) um yeah so then after ray delivers her little monologue then, like, Ray goes on to say that the Force belongs to everyone, it's democratic, it doesn't belong to just the Jedi. Um, and then Ray's little thing continues as she recognises there's something else beneath the island. A place. A dark place. And then Luke is all, like, trying to explain it. Balance. Powerful light. Powerful darkness. And then, it's cold. It's calling me. And then resisted it, Ray. 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 Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have to stop giggling because it's not like I'm un- uncomfortable discussing this stuff. Yes. I find it all really interesting. Yeah. But it is inherently funny to me because you've got this older male figure telling this young, beautiful woman in her relative innocence to resist it. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know she's God. not going to. Yeah. Because, of course, adolescents, especially in movies like this, they're always going to, you know, run away from their masters and do things that they're told they shouldn't. And you see that with Kylo too. Um, but yeah, I just feel like for all its subtlety, I really don't think it is all that subtle, to be honest, like what Ryan's doing here. <laughs> um, and and I, I like this line as well, powerful light, powerful darkness. That kind of echoes, well, it's not an echo because he says it first, but it's almost mirroring um, what Snoke says about darkness rising and light to meet it. So you have these two older mentors recognising that Ray and Kylo are linked in this way and they're emblems of the light and darkness yeah. and there there needs to be this balance whether they can achieve that or not in the end 
Yeah, no, that's really true. And actually, now I think about it, there's something really interesting going on with that because if you think about it, Luke, initially, when he sees Rey and Kylo together, his instinct is like, no, not in my head! We'll, uh-huh. we'll get to that. And he clearly wants Kylo gone. He does not want Rey, Kylo to be part of the equation for Rey at all. And then when you get to Snoke, when he has Rey and Kylo in front of him, he's pretty much the same, but in reverse, because he wants Rey gone. Because he's mm-hmm. all about Kylo and he thinks, no, 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 Ray, the light, all needs to be eliminated. Just need to focus on the darkness, mate. Go and kill her, please. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because they both have that same attitude towards these two young people initially, that they're only interested in one of them and that the other one needs to be purged or, like, obliviated somehow. Sorry for a Harry Potter moment. Um, <laughs> but then that mistake, that assumption on Snoke's part, that gets him killed. And it isn't what gets Luke killed, but it does make me very interested in seeing what his attitude is to Rain Kylo as a combo moving forward. Because you can tell he's like quite distraught when he realises that they're together in this film. But what's his attitude going to be in the future? Like Again, we'll touch on that more in the f- going forward, but Oh, yeah, so interesting. it is interesting to think about his state of mind by the end of the film because you can read it as him almost coming around and realizing that Ray was because she redeems him in a way, right? She, like he gets off the island and he wouldn't have done if she hadn't gone there. Yeah. Um, and when Hilo says like I'll destroy her and you, and it's like no, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think Luke knows. Yeah, um, he he knows what's up basically, and he knows that Kylo has a weakness now and. That's going to be useful. Um, but yeah, to return to this, it's very, very interesting. And I like how this scene plays with our expectations because so many people were thinking that Ray was going to like flirt with the dark side and maybe like use dark side powers. And that's not really what it's about in this film. It's more about the dark offering her something and then Ray just eagerly reaching for that because she does deep down feel so desperately lonely and feel so desperately confused about where she stands and everything um so it's not like dark side as in like oh she starts shooting force lightning out of her hands (laughs) (laughs) you know but it is dark side in the more human sense like the dark side of the soul and the dark side that offers us these answers that might actually be devastating (laughs) Yeah, what I really like about it is that it kind of dismantles that dichotomy because she doesn't come into it with those preconceived notions of the Jedi and Luke being afraid of the dark. Mm. Um, She sees it all as this like one thing and she's like, oh, what's that? She has this almost childlike curiosity that really um, aids her journey, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. She has fewer preconceptions that makes her more open to things. And of course that leads her into danger, but it also means she can discover things that Luke can't. Mm-hmm. yeah it's almost like she has to know it all she has to experience it for herself it's not just enough to hear luke warning her yes um, because that's not really enough of a lesson um, exactly so she has to encounter these things herself like it's so interesting to think about how obviously the cave scene i sorry i keep jumping ahead but like there's this idea that luke was told to go into the cave or the tree or whatever um by a yoda but for Ray, it's the opposite. Mm. She's drawn there. It's almost like an Eve moment, isn't it? Like to get a bit biblical, you know, like being drawn to the tempting, forbidden thing that you've been told you really shouldn't go to under any circumstances, but going there anyway. 
It aids Ray's journey that she is not afraid of the darkness like Luke has obviously come to be. Yeah. So even though we see in The Return of the Jedi, he conquers it in that he recognizes that he and his father, he comes from Vader and therefore yeah. shouldn't be afraid of him and reconciles with that darkness. There was balance for time, as he says to Ray. Mm. And then he saw Ben Solo and it was darkness like he hadn't anticipated. Yeah. Um, and he's been afraid of that ever since. So... It's natural for him to want to warn Ray against it, but really she has to experience it for herself to understand, and she needs to understand the light and the dark and how it all is part of the Force. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think you were saying before that there's an interesting contrast between um, how Luke in The Empire Strikes Back, he's told to go into the cave by Yoda, and in The Last Jedi, Ray's explicitly told to not go near the cave and told it's a very bad thing to go in the cave. Yeah, she still goes in the cave. Um, so it's very much like a biblical thing, like a defiance of this like higher male authority and the defiance of like the wisdom of the elders, which I think is really important. Like it's the whole like thing that Luke goes through to an extent when he defies Yoda by flying off to go and help his friends. But I think Ray takes it further because there's far more um teen rebellion, shall I say in her actions than there was with Luke. I sense that Luke was a more pliable apprentice <laughs> to an extent. Ray's more like, oh, I'm going to put up with this to an extent, but I have limits and yeah, I'm going to beat you up if I think you're wrong because I have principles, man. I think that also makes sense in regards to what they both had as goals because Luke's was more clearly defined. He had heard of the Jedi. He had Obi-Wan telling him about his father and how he wanted to be like his father who he idolized for so long but ray doesn't have any of that you know she didn't even she thought luke was a myth she just kind of gets swept up in the adventure of the force awakens and her journey is much more of an internal heroine's journey about finding her belonging yes um it's not so much about being an external hero and obviously she is a hero um at the end she has this very heroic moment of saving the resistance like that but that's not what everything was building to yeah um it's more about her sense of of worth and identity, yes. um, which you see unfolding through her interactions with primarily Luke and Kylo through the story. So, mm, Definitely. Right. Then after that first lesson, um, which, by the way, I should mention, it culminates with Ray realising that Luke has cut himself off from the Force. Um, because, yeah, that's like quite a scary realisation for her, I think. It's like, wow, you were in a serious state, man, to do that. That's extreme. Um yeah so after it's so funny to me as well that he's like oh my god you went straight to the dark and she she doesn't even care she's just like oh wait but i didn't see you (laughs) (laughs) she's just not concerned about the dark in the way that he is yeah um and the way that like light side users have traditionally been in star wars that's not really the focus for her yeah um i mean yeah she's more like wait a minute what's going on with you and how are you supposed to teach me if you're not even connected to this stuff anymore yeah. Like, there's almost this accusation of hypocrisy, really. Um, and she, like, I don't know, she doesn't straight up call Luke a coward or anything, but you can see her gradually becoming more and more disappointed in him. Yeah. She's got a very fresh perspective on things, I think. Um, yeah. And then just after that first lesson, we have the second Force Bond scene, um, which, no, actually, I'm skipping ahead a little bit too much because before the Force Bond scene, Ray is in the Falcon and she's talking to Chewie because she's trying like, to make contact with the Resistance and 
like he isn't successful because the porks have been chewing at the wires in their adorable fashion. Um, but Ray asks him to keep trying and ask after Finn, which is really sweet. I really do like that they have several moments where Ray is clearly concerned about Finn because I was worried that they would just drop that. And yeah, I think I like that would have been a mistake. Of, I liked the use of the tracker that they both had to cut to each other. Yes, definitely. Um, that they were obviously both worried about each other, but they had their own stuff they had to focus on. Yeah. And I think Finn's arc, even more explicitly than Ray's, is about letting go of that personal focus and finding something bigger. Like, okay, I can still care about my friend and want her to be safe, but there is something way bigger going on here that I need to to be invested in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, I think it's really sweet that they show that Ray's still invested like that. Um, even though they don't actually make contact. And I wish they'd at least had one encounter, but then I suppose that would have distracted from everything else. Um, and they kind of need to be isolated from each other for the needs, for the sake of the story. Because mm-hmm. I think Ray's state of mind would be very different if she'd been able to have chit-chats with Finn. She wouldn't be feeling so incredibly lonely for a start. Yeah, I really love their hug at the end, but I kind of wish they'd had maybe one line of dialogue to share. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so after Ray leaves the Falcon, after like, asking Chewie to check up on Finn, um, she feels the rain, she smiles, and it's so adorable. <laughs> Daisy just does innocent joy so well. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's really well done. Um, and yes, they ignite and they're connected, and like Kylo is just absolutely fascinated by her and he's like asking questions about like why is this happening why are we being connected and Ray, for her part she's still very much in like anger mode calls him a murderous snake and then a monster and actually one of my favorite parts is that like Kylo actually calls her out for looking at him in exactly the same way as she looked at him in the forest Mm-hmm. in The Force Awakens and I love that piece of continuity because that tells me that he's been thinking about that look on her face ever since mm-hmm. basically so he's basically been haunted by her like to an extent in that expression that she looked at him with and yeah oh, so I mean you you can tell from the interrogation that he fixates on Ray's face and reactions and things and he's very interested in how she responds to things yeah but when she calls him a monster in the forest, he doesn't actually, like, respond, right? He's like, it's just us now. But it's almost like their their responses are kind of out of sync with each other because they're both so worked up. Yeah. But but this is, like, bringing it full circle. It's like, oh, no, I, I was fully aware of what you were saying and how you feel about me. Yes, I am. I know that. Like, this stuff is full-on um, Heathcliff for me. <laughs> like, Oh, so much. Yeah, yes, I am, you know? Yeah, yeah, I am aware that you think I'm a monster, but there's also something else going on here. Um, yeah. It's it's really bringing the gothic romance. Yeah, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. Also, the murder of a snake is interesting, because doesn't Rose call DJ a snake later on? I feel like there's a lot of snake imagery. Yeah, she does call him a snake. <laughs> yeah, traitorous snake or something like that. Um, and yeah, this is the first point at which, um, like, Kaido asks Ray if Luke has told her what happened. Um, so, like, obviously, us referring to what happened at the temple. 
and that's interesting because he's almost like acting as a serpent to her Eve to an extent. He's like planting these seeds of doubt in her mind mm-hmm. because I doubt that was a question for her before because she probably just assumed, oh yeah, he's evil. He went and slaughtered everyone. He's a monster. Ah. Yeah, I know everything I need to know about you. Yeah, exactly. She's very like assured. And she wants to like cling to this simple narrative that makes it easier to hate him, makes it easier to be like one of the good guys, because while well, the good guys are always good and the bad guys are always bad, and a big part of Ray's journey is understanding that things aren't that simple, and that when someone goes Kylo's way, there's generally a reason, like a precipitating event for why that happened. Mm-hmm. It's probably a good point to go on to lesson two from Mr. Skywalker. And Luke has a very interesting take on the Jedi, which I really appreciate. It's, it's very prequely. Um, it's all about the huge fuck-ups that the Jedi did, basically. Um, and how they failed, how they made terrible mistakes. So it was a Jedi Master who was responsible for the training and creation of Darth Vader. And he even name-checks Darth Sidious, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. And... Yeah. Is he talking about Obi-Wan or Yoda when he says, like, the master created Darth Vader? He means Obi-Wan, yeah. I think he wow. has to. Which is really cold. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I'd like to see Obi-Wan's force ghost actually pop up after <laughs> now, that and say, hang on, young man. <laughs> <laughs> it took a village of Jedi to fail <laughs> your father. Now hang on. It all started with Qui Gon. Okay, don't blame me. I just, <laughs> I just followed orders. <laughs> I was told to train him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Luke's gonna get a bollocking from for that in the afterlife. I think. Um, but yeah, what I like here is that Luke is a real Debbie Downer, but like Ray, she is the source of like hope and optimism in this situation. Like, and she says, and a Jedi who saved him. Yes, the most hated man in the galaxy. But you saw there was conflict inside him. You believed that he wasn't gone, that he could be turned. And I think that's so important because I think that Ray speaking is the little child who grew up on Jakku and did hear these legends of Luke Skywalker. Like, much like the Canto by orphans that we see later on. Like, she, as a young person, heard these stories and myths and she was inspired by that, that hope. Because if you think about Rey in The Force Awakens, she still has so much hope and this desperate desire to believe that her family's coming back and everything's going to be okay if she just works hard and keeps on going and adds another mark on the wall. And she probably draws that strength from these legends and these stories and now she's actually getting to face that legend and she's trying to point out to him like all that hope that he has lost because she sort of carries that with her. And I think that's a really important theme of the film. The idea that the older generation may lose their hope and they may become jaded and cynical through the passage of time and all these dreadful experiences. But it's the young people who represent the hope for the future because they still have that fresh perspective that the galaxy needs. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's really brought out there with Yoda and Luke's scene. Mm, Um, Definitely. I love that. Um, and yeah, like from the very beginning, I, I was watching the special features on the Force Awakens Blu-ray last night, and you, ha- you have JJ saying right there, 
you know, we have Hanalea in the story, but it's not really their story. Like, this is a generational coming of age, and it's about them passing the torch. Yeah. So you really have to have that almost baked in as an explicit theme. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Exactly. And I also like the fact that there's this implication that she may actually be starting to think about Kylo Ren himself at this point. Because she is starting to see him, like, as this more human figure. And she's starting to have these very personal interactions with him. She still hasn't got past the murderous snake stage. <laughs> but I think it's reasonable to think that those encounters with him, they are making her think more. And the modern most hated man in the galaxy for Rey, that's not Vader, that's Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can kind of see the seeds being sown for her having that faith in Kylo later on. Like, and then trying to be this new Luke by going off to save the most hated man in the galaxy. Right. I mean, you can see the look on her face of confusion and she's starting to piece things together when he agrees with her that he's a monster. Yeah. Like, that it lingers over her and she's like, wait, what? Like, that's what you think about yourself? And she's just starting to think about things a bit more. And he is... his. He's confusing her as a person. Um, mm. Some of these interactions aren't going the way that she thought they would. So Exactly. And yeah, so then this is the scene where Luke also explains his initial version of what happened at the temple with Ben. And what is most notable here, because obviously Luke goes on about his explanation of the temple destruction first, but we're going to talk about that more in the Luke episode. What's mostly notable for a Ray discussion is Ray's response to hearing the explanation of what Ben Solo apparently did. And Ray says, The galaxy may need a legend. I need someone to show me my place in all this. And you didn't fail, Kylo. Kylo failed you. I won't. And yeah, I find that so interesting because I feel like that line, Ray says it with like a new conviction. Like previously when she's been speaking, like we've discussed, it's kind of flat and it's kind of like she's drawing from a script book for stuff I should say in this moment. Here she feels really, really sincere and like she's actually saying something she truly believes in. And I think she's probably relieved, to be honest, to hear Luke's version of what happened because she was clearly starting to doubt things Mm -hmm. after Kylo put that question in her brain. And now she thinks she has the answer. And she's like, oh, thank God. So he was an evil asshole and he just destroyed everything because he's a monster. So I can go forward and be resolute in my conviction that he's evil. Yeah. And that makes her feel firm in promising Luke that she won't fail him. And yeah, it obviously sets up some nice, like, (laughs) irony, shall I say? Because... I wouldn't even say that Ray fails Luke, but at this point she definitely doesn't envisage turning against Luke as she does, based on what happens next. So. Yeah, it sets all of that up, really, doesn't it? Because, like you say, so she's so sure at this point, and and then it all comes crashing down in the next part, but mm. yeah, it's just it's so interesting to watch the interplay between her and this, because it, it is like it's initially set up as like, oh, the angel and the devil. Like, de- you know, Kylo's like, what was it Peter Bradshaw said in the Guardian review? He's like a sensually seductive Satan or something. <laughs> Peter Bradshaw must have an Adam Driver poster in his oh, bedroom. So. He loves him so much. It's adorable. It's lovely. Yeah, but like you said, you know, you compared him to the serpent and we've talked before about kind of Lucifer's fall, um, the fallen angel. Mm. It is like he's set up as this figure who's 
who seems straight up evil to the protagonist, but she goes on this journey to figure out that that's not the full story. Exactly. And other people were at least in part responsible. You know, when I was like a nerdy teenager, actually, you don't know, she didn't know me at that time. But when I was a nerdy teenager, I actually had a copy of Paradise Lost. I think I was like 16. And I literally mm-hmm. went through the annotations. I think I had a bit of a crush on Satan. It was pretty bad. <laughs> How problematic of you. <laughs> Call the Tumblr Purity Police. Milton Spinning Grave, <laughs> shall I say? <laughs> No, I I think you meant to. It's all it's all there. Yeah. It's yeah. Okay. It's okay. Essentially seductive Satan. <laughs> the dark side of the force. Yeah, there's a pattern of my crushes, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, so then that lesson from Luke, as it's actually becoming a pattern in the film itself, is followed by another force bond scene, the third one. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I I'm just laughing at the you're going to keep into the podcast yeah when I was a teen I had a crush on Satan (laughs) can we have that as the title of the show (laughs) just so people know the kind of people that we are yeah satanic evil people (laughs) oh my goodness that's amazing um Yes, so the next force back scene um, is brilliant because Ray is like, I'd rather not do this now. Carlos, yeah, me too. <laughs> I love the echoes, by the way. Yes, it's so nice. It's really atmospheric. And I love that Ray starts asking a very serious, very emotional question Why did you hate your father? <laughs> and then she realizes that he's jealous. And she's so oh my god, she's so awkward and embarrassed. It's really Why funny. did you hate your <laughs> You can literally see her making bug eyes. <laughs> oh my god, the men like... didn't look like this on Jakku <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> we Could've feel you girl. We feel you girl. Um and I love that she's just suggests he put a cowl on. What exactly is a cowl, Kirsty? Isn't that it's like the like... shawl thing he wears? Yeah, it's not. It's not <laughs> going to cover him up, Ray. He's a big guy. No, there's something so sweet and innocent about it. But yeah, something um, we actually mentioned before we talked privately is how every single force bond scene it ramps up the intimacy from the previous one. Um, do you want to talk? briefly about um, the moment of intimacy in the previous Force Bond scene. Kirsty, yeah, I know you're dying I, too. <laughs> I think the previous one might be my favourite, although it really it's hard to choose because, like you say, they're all connected and it is this gradual unfurling of this dynamic that does become more and more intimate. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Mm. Like, And it's really interesting how they're playing with how the Force Bond even works. And I'm not interested in getting into the way Force bonds work in canon and all the mechanics of it because it's just magic and yeah. it works however the storyteller wants it to. Um, but when there's that like wave of water that comes crashing over Ray towards the end of the vision and then Kylo reaches up and wipes it away from his mouth and then it's on his leather glove and he clenches it. Mm. That is, yeah. 
How much do we need to say? <laughs> I'm not going to spell it out because that ruins it. But yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, Pablo's been having so much fun with that on Twitter. It's been adorable. I know. It's, it's really funny because, I mean, this is a kind of thing, the way they do this is it's like it's there if you want to see it and if you don't, you don't, that's fine. Mm. But when you get like fanboys who would like can you explain how this works like <laughs> because this is it's really interesting intersection of fandom where people are wanting to know the mechanics of how this stuff is working but it's not really the point yes like ryan is using this as a device to tell a story about these two characters and the way that they're interacting and their desires and fears and everything yeah so yeah like how literally are you supposed to take the fact that there is wet water there, like on his hand or on his face when he's finished talking to her? Yeah, it's really not like about explaining the physics of the situation. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, obviously, we know later on, yeah, he is able to make physical contact with her hand. So it's not like, yeah, we already know that they're almost in the same place at once. That's not really the point. And that's not what Ryan's focusing on when he has him do that. That, that gesture mm. um yeah but catch them trying to explain this stuff explicitly in a movie that's essentially for children it's not going to happen so. <laughs> yeah it's called subtext um but yeah it's much less subtextual in this scene because kylo is parading around shirtless and yeah he does ignore ray's very reasonable request for him to put something on yeah he doesn't even say anything in fact he just starts walking towards her <laughs> Like, oh, does this make you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> Confronted with my... Glorious pecs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me come oh. closer. Oh, my gosh. We-, we already know from The Force Awakens that he has no sense of personal space when it comes to Rey, so... It's such a weird intersection of this really sexually charged moment. And this moment is all about family and parents. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting how those things like jive off each other like and i sense that when race says stuff like why did you hate your father give me an honest answer you had a father who loved you he gave a damn about you and i think there she's so hurt and angry and upset because she's thinking about her own feelings of abandonment and loss because you had a father who loved you i didn't and that obviously intensifies her anger and resentment of kylo because it's like, that should be the most wonderful, glorious, cherishable thing in the world. How can you just kill it? How can you destroy that? So it's like the least comprehensible thing to her imaginable. And I think Kylo's explanation is so, so interesting. Because he doesn't really give her a straight answer. Like, she's just filled with confusion, doesn't understand. And instead of making it about him he makes it about her he says your parents threw you away like garbage so at that point we're already getting the answer that comes later to be honest because yeah they both already know at this point really the fact that she says like you had a father who loved you yeah the unspoken thing there is like unlike me exactly yeah it's all here in this scene so it's not like it's a big revelatory moment really when he brings it up again later, it's important. He gives new context and adds new details that make it hurt more, really. But yeah, this is all the fundamentals about what her parents were like and what they did with her. Um, but yeah, Kylo's explanation. 
Um, your parents threw you away like garbage, but you can't stop needing them. It's your greatest weakness, looking for them everywhere, in Han Solo, now in Skywalker. And that is so, so painfully accurate. And I think there he's getting to the crux of Rey's arc in the whole film, because mm-hmm. the start of Rey's arc is that she goes to this island, desperately trying to find a saviour, because she certainly doesn't think she's that saviour. When she gets that lightsaber at the end of The Force Awakens, she's like, oh, shit. And she obviously she has to fight in that moment because it's fight or be captured, essentially. She has no choice. Um, but that's not really her choice. It's something that's thrust upon her. So she still thinks and hopes that there's going to be this other person who can be brought in and take the pressure off her. But her whole arc over the course of the film is, no, actually, I need to be the saviour. I need to be this new hope that Luke once was because this is now my place, my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And and for a time, it almost seems like she wants to transfer her hope in Luke to then her hope in Ben Solo, right? Oh, when definitely. She's like, yeah. Oh, well, he's he's our only hope then because you're not doing it. And because of how things go with Kylo, she's then at the end like, oh, I, I guess it's me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. It's like a process of elimination. Um, yeah, I think I said before, like when we were speculating, um, I kind of like the idea of Ray rejecting Luke and Kylo's ideas and mm. forging her own way. And really, yeah. looking at it, it probably was the only satisfying way. Um, I know a lot of fans have like fe- felt um, let down by Ray's arc in The Last Jedi because they feel like it's too dependent on these male characters. But I don't think that's the point. I think it's almost like she is moving beyond that yeah um and then she's not going to be defined by their failures yeah she's going to define herself on her own terms yeah i think that's the whole point and yeah like it's interesting how luke and kylo actually both push her towards that discovery because yeah he's pushing the truth in her face and it's a hard truth and it's a truth she probably doesn't want to hear but it's the right truth and yeah, they're both talking about themselves at the same time as they're talking about the other person. And mm-hmm. oh, it's so complex and so interesting. What What do you think about people claiming that Ray is expressing disgust and that this is a purely platonic scene and there was no good reason for Kylo Ren to be shirtless except <laughs> to ascertain how disinterested Ray is in him? <laughs> I, I, I'm joking on my own laughter, sorry. It's absurd. I mean, I get it that she's uncomfortable, and that's partly the point, but it's yeah. like confronted with this um, young man who she has a very complicated relationship with. Yeah. Like, oh, right. Her response You're there, is not one of naked. disgust. It's the response of embarrassment and like, oh, God, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, she's uncomfortable and that's like a point of the scene Ryan's been saying again and again it's all about this uncomfortable intimacy um, which you very much get but yeah like it's not discussed she doesn't look at him and go yeah I think people who say that are conveniently forgetting that the next time she sees Kylo she reaches out to him and tries to hold his hand yeah exactly tells him he's not alone so you know there's like a gradual progression here it's not like Ugh, get away from me. I never want to see you again. Yeah. So. And I think she's uncomfortable precisely because she does find him attractive. And she feels guilty finding him attractive, probably. Understandably. Exactly. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, she sees him half naked, and then you know they have this conversation about her parents and how she needs to move on from that um, because it's holding her back. And then she goes and decides to jump in the cave. Exactly. And gets wet. Her hair comes down. Yeah. So at first, it's interesting. At first, it's done how she doesn't quite want to go into the cave itself. She just peers in. But then she slips and falls because she got dangerously close. And that's what happens when you get dangerously close. And yeah, it's kind of like a baptismal moment, I guess. Because she doesn't mm. really transform at that point it's like a moment of maturity and self-realization and also coming into her sexuality because yeah letting down your hair that has very clear connotations like just in like all literature and film and everything she's immediately presented as more womanly after that scene. yeah we we've even had that in star wars now right with the leia book um, Claudia kind of lifted up of, of that trope of the old Iranian culture, like your hair comes down, you want to do a braid. That's like an intimate thing that basically precedes the sexual relationship. Mm. Exactly. It's like the free buns. That's the hairstyle she's had ever since she was a child. And she's not really a child anymore. She's past that. And yeah, that's what is about symbolically. I also love that she jumps into this cave that she was previously warned about by Luke right after she's had this story from Kylo about what really happened from Kylo's perspective. Mm. But it's almost like it casts doubt on other things that Luke has told her about. Oh, I think that's like... exactly why she goes there. It's because she wants to like get a truth. She wants to like separate from them for a moment because all her lessons have been coming from both of them. Right. And she's at a point where she doesn't really trust either of them because they're both contradicting each other. Yeah, it's like, right, well, I want answers now. I'm yeah. going to have to go looking for them myself in this place that other people are afraid of and won't let me go. But screw it. I can do it. Yeah, exactly. And that whole mirror sequence is so awesomely trippy. I love it. Yeah, love it. And it's really cool to look at the concept art as well because that almost brings it home like even clearer. Like there's that mirror image of Ray and Kylo with like him with the mask and her half of the face, mm. um, which I think we saw maybe in some of the official imagery. Um, and yeah, like you get those two figures behind the glass as so she's looking in the mirror or the ice or whatever. So and they merge into one and then into Ray herself. Yeah, she's looking for her parents, but the truth is she's really looking for her identity and she's not going to get that from her parents. Yeah, exactly. And in a way, Ray was her own parent. She had to bring herself up. So, mm-hmm. like, the answer to who raised you, who should, who can you depend on? That's you, Missy. Look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Ha ha. <laughs> and and I, also- I love the... Mm-hmm. Sorry. That she's narrating this entire experience, being like pretty honest about her fear and vulnerability, and then you realise afterwards that the whole time she was talking to Kylo. But yes. for a second, it maybe encourages you to think that she's confiding in Luke somehow. Yeah. At first, I thought it was a really weird like break in the fourth wall moment. You're right. I thought it was just Ray addressing the audience, and I was like, "This is freaking weird, Ryan. You've, you've already gone to these crazy directions, but I don't know what you're up to now." Um. So yeah, when it was revealed that, oh, she's explaining it to Kylo Ren, Jesus, that was so 
like amazing and it really recontextualizes what she says because yeah like you say it's all like very like intimate and confiding like she's really going into depth about her feelings and her fears here and that's so interesting mm-hmm. yeah she says I've, I've never felt so alone <laughs> yeah like this this point is really what everything's been leading up to right there's this moment where she goes she is almost like things click for her yeah um and that she says i mean he says it first right you're not alone and it cuts to him and he has almost tears in his eyes yeah and it's yeah very intense yeah and then she says neither are you Mm-hmm. I, they really could be playing like 70s like swoony love scene music <laughs> with the whole hand holding thing seriously it's the most easily the most erotic scene in any Star Wars movie like I feel completely comfortable saying that I think so because of, it's key for me that she's the one who reaches out first yes. so she's you know shivering with her long wet hair in a blanket barely covered and then tentatively reaches out to him. Like, it's really placing emphasis on the fact that this is like... I mean, this is their first physical contact. I know he carried her in the forest, but he takes off his glove, which yeah. is huge, because they didn't have to do that. And it wasn't just that he already had his hand bare. They actually show you him uncovering it. Yeah. So it's, it's really important. Yeah, they show um, how desperately he wants that contact. Yeah. Yeah, and there's something so touching about both of these people who feel so, so achingly alone. And they've both felt so like betrayed in their childhoods that they're really finding comfort and solace in each other. And like it's all filmed in like a way that makes it seem so incredibly beautiful. Yeah, because they're by a fireside and and as like as their fingertips touch and you, you get that zooming in on the actual moment when they touch... And then Ray gasps and like a tear falls on her cheek and the force theme swells. And Kylo is like in the blue where he sat in the supremacy, right? But mm. as they touch, he becomes more part of where she actually is. Yeah. Because obviously when it zooms back, you can see um, he sat there with her. Like that's yes. what Luke sees. But you can see the firelight start to come over his face. Yeah. So it's like he's being drawn into the light by the contact as well. Yeah, exactly. It's really like framed, like almost like an ancient marriage ceremony. <laughs> I know this sounds <laughs> really shippy, but it really does because like ancient marriage ceremonies, like pre-Christian, it was like about two people and extending hands and having their hands bound together because mm-hmm. that was like the way you sealed people symbolically. And it's very consciously calling upon that sort of imagery. So, yeah, it's very much showing this is a kind of, like, romantic, sexual connection. And wedding the animus. Yeah, wedding the animus. And it's shown to be a beautiful thing. It's shown to be something that has, like, is really a source of joy for both of them. And then Luke comes in and f***s it up! <laughs> Sorry, I really gonna need to beep out a lot. <laughs> I feel really bad. Um... But yeah, Luke does ruin everything because, yeah, you need a resident cock blocker in this situation. Yeah, he is. He really is like the angry god snooping on Adam and Eve, losing their innocence for each other. Yeah, exactly. He comes in. He's like, no, not in my hood. <laughs> <laughs> and 
this scene, this scene we've known about since May 2016, and for the longest time, many people could not let themselves believe it. I was not one of those people. I was a true believer in the hut from the very beginning. <laughs> I feel like I should get like a badge that says I believed in Bob and Spy <laughs> from, May, from May 2016. Uh. Oh, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't mean to call out anyone who didn't believe because it was from Reddit. It could have been completely made up. It yeah, it's really interesting because this stuff turned out to be the most reliable. Mm. And his other things as well, right? He had the... the um, trenches on crate and he had the phasma and finn confrontation with the weapon and everything yeah um but because it's reddit people just are less inclined to believe it whereas other sources that were considered more reliable got a lot of things wrong yeah exactly it's like the fight with um the knights of ren and everything that came from making stars initially and it was completely wrong that's not like to criticize them because they just clearly had misleading information from their source and i'm sure their source was in ireland and believed they had seen what they thought they'd seen but yeah it was wrong so i think actually i think it was a misinterpretation because if you looked at what some of the deleted scenes are going to be Mm. it sounds like that's what that was with those bandits coming to the island and ray going down to rescue the caretakers and it turning out that she didn't need to oh that's a good point i feel like that's what it has to have been yeah but I think it's also possible when looking from a difference, from a distance, to see, I don't know, like, random crew members on their lunch break all huddle together and think, "Oh, that's right. a friend," because <laughs> you're excited. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's such a beautiful scene. I love it so much. I really need like a high quality screen cap of them holding hands for reasons. Yeah, and this is the moment where they see the visions. So, mm. yeah, it's like a a huge moment where they see a future where they both supposedly well he it's not totally clear what Mm. both see but and uh, there are big debates going on i i'm not too interested in ascertaining exactly what they both saw because i don't feel like it's really the point at the moment and it's kind of up for debate what what jj will do with all this Mm. because you could make the argument that what they're seeing is the throne room yeah um I actually have quite clear ideas on what they're seeing, but I think okay. I'd like to discuss that in the elevator scene. Oh, right, yeah, that's sure. where they both talk about it um, at more length. Um, but yeah, after the hut scene and after Luke blows up the hut in spectacular fashion, um, <laughs> Ray obviously confronts Luke. And I love their little fight scene, by the way. It's so cool. Like she I really... love that she, she looks over and checks that Kylo's disappeared. She's yes. like half expecting him to stick around. Oh, do you remember when we it, when the trailer came out? Mm-hmm. Or was it was it the trailer? Or was it, it was something, maybe behind the scenes footage or something. But we were like, oh, it looks like the hut sex because they had the bit where she comes out of the water and then they made it look like the her coming up and being confronted with Luke was almost the same thing, except it really wasn't. They were just tricking yes. us with the light, and yeah. we said that looks like the hut, and maybe Kylo's there, but just out of frame. God, we called it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so much smugness, but yeah. That's just fun because he he wasn't really there, but he kind of was. Yeah, he was real in the way that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Ray like confronts Luke, does some elder abuse. Um, <laughs> so not not accurate. <laughs> it's interesting. I haven't seen a lot of like pearl clutching at this in particular from the fandom. Maybe people are still in shock with Luke's arc as a whole, but mm. Ray beating up Luke Skywalker is a pretty big deal. Oh, I've seen people get upset about that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, like mainly like silly straw man arguments. Like, 
oh, how could Rey defeat Luke Skywalker in combat? And it's like, it's very what? clear he wasn't trying. He was not that trying. Is... Oh my god, that is not the point. Not every <laughs> confrontation is about who wins and who loses. You and I know this, Kirsty. Not everyone else. Sorry. I just, I'm sorry. I know I sound really exasperated. I just sometimes. It's not a podcast, not... so we can do what we want. That is not what's going on there. <laughs> He's not trying to kick her ass. <laughs> oh my god. Never she go to Star Wars Reddit. With, like, oh my god, okay. Duly noted. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so after Ray has beaten Luke up, because I like saying that, Luke actually tells her a revised version of the truth. Which... Oh, wait, yeah, wait, I remember now. I did yeah. have my saber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Key thing that was just conveniently missing from the first time I told you about this. It makes him look so bad. So I've seen people say, oh, yeah, I definitely trust Luke's version over Ben's. But, what? Like, seriously, Luke's initial version was such complete bullshit. <laughs> I went to check on him and he turned on me. <laughs> yeah. Because... I went to confront him when he was asleep and I probed into his mind and then I ignited my yeah. <laughs> You know, there's been all this discourse for two years about how Kylo Ren was so evil because he looked into Rey's mind against her will. Oh, well, there you have Luke Skywalker doing it to his sleeping nephew who had not actually committed any crimes at that point. <laughs> oh, it's so glorious. I love it. Um... Yeah, so Luke finally tells a more honest version of what happened. Um, and then after hearing that, Ray has a grandstanding moment. And I love it. She says, You failed him by thinking his choice was made. It wasn't. There's still conflict in him. If he returned from the dark side, that could shift the tide. This could be how we win. And then Luke's obviously, This is not going to go the way you think. And then Ray, It is. Just now when we touched hands, I saw his future, as solid as I'm seeing you. If I go to him, Ben Solo will turn. So, yeah, there's several important things here. First of all, this is like the real moment of disillusionment with Luke. Because she's like, holy crap, I thought you were this great hero. But you gave up on your nephew. You assumed the worst of him, and then you basically created this like self-fulfilling prophecy by doing that. And yeah, I love the mirroring. Really I know, I know it's pretty on the nose, but when she says like earlier, "Oh, Kylo failed you," you just know at a, a later point, either Luke or Ray is going to come back to that moment and say, "Actually, yeah, you did fail him." Yeah, this is not to say that Ben was innocent in the situation. There was clearly guilt there but um yeah luke definitely precipitated things by his choices on that night and yeah ray recognizes that and it's not like about her being like oh poor baby ben but it's about her i think like identifying with that sense of like rejection (laughs) and that sense of like absolute betrayal by your caregiver because obviously her situation was very different from ben's but she was still like abandoned and let down by the people who should have been there for her, by the people who should have been caring for her. And so I think that's something that feels very powerful for her. And she can really, really connect to that and sympathize with that. And then, of course, the thing that really, really fires her up and motivates her is the fact that she had that vision. And again, it's vague and abstract, but it's clear that she thinks that Ben's solo will turn and it's not explicitly stated. I think it's left vague 
deliberately so that JJ can make whatever he wants of these visions going forward in nine, but Ben Solo will turn. And I think based on the current context we have, she believes Ben Solo will turn back to the light side. That is mm-hmm. what her vision gave her reason to believe. Yeah. All this stuff really is vague, isn't it? Because then you have Snoke later on saying that he was the one who bridged their minds. And it's like, well, then he did he implant these visions? I wouldn't like to think so, because mm-hmm. that really does undermine that feeling you get from the scene where they touch hands. Yeah. Like, because the force, like, there's nothing sinister there. Yeah. Um, and I definitely don't think Snoke, like, gave them the visions. Like, that is obviously just my personal interpretation. But I think for me, he created the link and then assumed that they just naturally do the rest. So I think that everything they shared through those Force Bond scenes, I think those were genuine emotions and genuine experiences they had with each other. So I, I think it's I'm not sure he created the link, though. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't think so either, really. Um, we should probably have a Snoke episode. <laughs> so well, because, should... you know, like... In The Force Awakens, when they go into each other's minds, mm. and we had all this stuff from the way that like the, the script sets it up as like they feel this energy in each other, yeah. and there's all this emphasis on connection and like the databank stuff as well about them having this mysterious connection. Like Even when they meet in the forest on Tokodana, mm. it's like Kylo Ren was puzzled by the strange connection he felt with Rey. Mm. So it was oh, almost yeah. there like before they even met. Oh yeah, no, I think it was there before. I think... Um... Snoke probably saw that there was that connection and then he exploited it like to an extent so I think he <laughs> might have like triggered it at certain times I have a yeah. funny image of like Snoke kind of monitoring Kylo waiting for him to get his kit off oh my so god <laughs> someone needs to draw a comic of that it'd be really funny um, but yeah so like he probably knows there's like a certain like subtext to these two young people interacting and he wants to make Ray particularly vulnerable to him. Um, so what more greater temptation than shirtless Kylo Ren? Um, well, it is, yeah, because he kind of says, oh, sorry, we're jumping ahead again. But like, fine. yeah, it's just this like, oh, I stoked his conflict and then you fell for it and he did all of that just to get Ray there so that she would then reveal where Luke was. Yeah. It's not even like Snoke particularly cares about Ray because it's like, yeah, kill her, you know? Yeah. He he considers her like a tool, I think. But yeah, I I do think that Snoke is taking credit for something that he wasn't really responsible for, something that was pre-existing. Mm. But, um, like like the fact that they are still linked after he's died is an important sign of that. Oh, for sure, yeah. As is all the stuff in The Force Awakens. And I think also just the type of character Snoke is, like his greatest crime is hubris. Mm-hmm. you know like he's very very arrogant and he's very very vain and he's all about taking credit for things that aren't his doing like he takes credit for how great and powerful and amazing Kylo Ren is but it's not really him mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah I think it's just in character for Snoke but yeah sidetrack um, yeah so yeah basically at this point Ray declares that Ben Solo is our last hope and she hops in the Falcon and goes off to meet her boyfriend. Who And Chewie is just totally cool with all of this. Yeah, he, he really is. <laughs> I knew where there's like a deleted scene of it. Okay, well, let's get you a new outfit. Let's do your hair, put some makeup on. Be, be back by 11, love, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Because, yeah, seriously, the way she dolls herself up is ridiculous. 
in the best way. When I say ridiculous, I mean in the best way. Because like she... it, yeah, it's obviously like still very subtle. It's not like she looks all pripped up, but <laughs> compared to how she leaves the island, where she's like completely soaked from the rain with Luke, mm. and then her her hair stays down, but she has to have done it. Yeah. And yeah, she has mascara and her brows are done and everything. <laughs> yeah. And she ships herself by coffin to um, Kylo. <laughs> and did you notice how she even holds her lightsaber like a princess yep. holding her bouquet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, so, yeah. It's, it's so obvious. Oh. Yeah, it's it's very like princessy, the whole Snow White thing. But it's also just like super full on with the heroine's descent into the underworld. And mm-hmm. I think this is something that maybe Ryan referred to in the art book where it's like, you know, she's she's in this coffin and she's going to this hellish red room to confront Ben and Snoke. Yeah. Uh. Exactly. I also like that there's several occasions where that red room has been referred to as a boudoir. <laughs> like, <laughs> mostly by DJ. But when you think about what happens in the red room, that gains new significance. But again, jumping ahead, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So then we finally get... Oh, no way, I should mention. So Kylo greets her. He also looks equally princey to meet her princessiness. And, yeah, with, like, gorgeous turned-out hair, and he looks very noble and handsome and everything. But then, of course, steps back, and there's the stormtroopers. It's like, oh, gosh, a moment of betrayal. When I first saw it, I was like, no! Nah! <laughs> it's been yeah, so well! because it, it's contrasted with what they had going on in the last force vision right yeah it's like oh yes this is kylo ren and he's on the supremacy and he's in kylo ren mode yeah so. <laughs> you can see the change in her expression when she first sees him it's almost like this um like like little excitement but and nervousness and then when he steps away it's like oh wait what what's going on yeah exactly you can tell that she's not sure of where things are going to go from there mm-hmm. um right then we finally get to the famous elevator scene, which has some very interesting dialogue. Do you want to do a dramatic reading of the dialogue in this scene, Kirsty? Do you, can you find it? Mm. Oh yeah, here it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Okay. Do you want to be Ray, and then I'll be Kylo? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh god, that sounds so bad. <laughs> I know because it's really like whoa. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so let's try says. not to ham it up too much. <laughs> you don't have to do this. I feel the conflict in you. It's tearing you apart. Ben, when we touched hands, I saw your future. Just the shape of it, but solid and clear. You will not bow before Snoke. You'll turn. I'll help you. <laughs> Sorry, that was brilliant. Oh. oh, yeah, you also need to say I saw it. Oh, okay. I saw it. <laughs> I saw something too. Because of what I saw. I know when the moment comes, you'll be the one to turn. You'll stand with me. Ray, I saw who your parents were. Right. This is what I wanted to talk about. So I think Kylo, I don't think he had a vision as such of them both together. I think his vision was exactly what he says. I saw who your parents are. I think he saw who her parents were. That they're these like, crappy, filthy junk dealers. And that convinced him that okay, because of this piece of information, because she comes from nothing, then that means her place is with me. She's going Mm. to join me. She's going to choose me. 
because I offer her a place, I offer her belonging, and that's what she wants. Oh, Kylo. Yeah. You f***ed up. Yeah, he Dude. really f***ed up bad. I think he's thinking about how he would respond to that information. Yeah, I think Ryan said this in interviews that, like, Ryan... Kylo, when he says all this stuff, and we'll get to it later with the phone room, but, like, it's him realising that they have more in common than they first thought. That, like, yes, he comes from this family who have this big, long legacy and everything, but also when he says to her earlier, like, they threw you away like garbage. Mm. Like, he feels that abandonment too. Yeah. It's just in a very different way. Exactly. So similar yet different. Complimentary, you could say. Just just the way they interact in this scene. Like, it starts out with her, like, in front of him and he's looking straight ahead and she's got the cuffs on. And then when she says Ben, mm. which is huge that she started using that name, and she, like, starts moving towards him and starts whispering because she's so close to him. Mm. She's looking up at him, like, wide eyes, like, imploringly. It's almost like they're trying to seduce each other into turning... That's yeah. kind of the the implication here, right? That they're both trying to get the other to turn to their side. And he's looking down at her and he's speaking in a very soft voice too. Yeah, exactly. I think you can't was... really believe how close they get and yeah. how, how these two people who are supposed to be enemies are talking to each other. Mm. It's like they're drinking up the sight of the other person. Like they just relish being in their presence despite the mm-hmm. <laughs> challenging circumstances, mm-hmm. shall we say. Um but yeah, what's also interesting is there have obviously been lots of comparisons between this scene and the scene of Luke and Vader in the elevator in Return of the Jedi. And that's justified because some of it is very similar. There's some very similar dialogue beats and stuff. And I absolutely think it's conscious and deliberate. But because I think what's happening here is that we're almost seeing Rey to an extent, because I think there's more to it than this. I think Rey is trying to fill that Luke role like the role that she was talking about earlier where a Jedi was the one who saved him. Like you, you saw there was good in him. You saw a sense of the conflict, blah, blah, blah. She is trying to reenact that legend that she knows, I think, at this point. I don't think that's solely what this is about because I think all of their body language and I think this emphasis on their visions and their hopes and their dreams of the other person joining them, that's all about their personal intimate connection and how they feel about each other. But I think there is also an element of destiny and trying to play out the past and i think that's probably also what goes wrong to an extent because ray just wants kylo to repeat what vader did and that isn't going to happen because kylo ain't vader <laughs> yeah i almost feel like the mirroring is supposed to highlight the differences between the dynamics mm. obviously luke and vader you clearly have father and son yeah and ray and kylo aren't that um, <laughs> yes definitely you have, so you have sensual like- yeah, you have light and dark, but the archetypes and the way that they relate to each other couldn't be more different. So mm. it's almost supposed to illustrate that to the audience, really, because like, oh, wait a minute, this is there's way more going on here. Yeah, exactly, and I think that makes it a much more interesting scene. Then we get the whole amazing scene where Ray finally meets Snoke. Oh my god, I love that whole encounter so much, like. Andy Serkis is so freaking amazing. Mm. He's so good at Snoke. He's so evil. Um, and I love it. And Ray is, again, really, really brave and really strong. And she, in a way, she demonstrates the same qualities that she demonstrated with Luke. 
So just this really solid sense of determination and persistence. Like mm-hmm. she won't let herself be cowed by Snoke's intimidation of her. And she remains strong and focused and insistent that Ben Solo will turn and that they're going to win because Ben will ultimately side with her as she's imagined. And yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah, she's very stubborn, but in a good way. Mm. Um, yeah, I just, it's so interesting the way that Snoke, I think a couple of times he refers to her as a child and young Ray. Yeah. It's kind of the way he talks to Kylo as well. Yeah. So quite infantilizing. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's pretty, it's drawing a lot of attention to the way that they are going to develop, but like from the beginning to the end of this movie. Yeah. How they really do start out as children and then uh, kind of cast off those identities at the end because they don't really have a choice at that point. Yeah. The older generation is gone, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so Snoke, he does perceive them both as children. They're basically like his chess pieces to move around. And he illustrates that very, very literally with Ray because he's literally like tossing her about and like being very cruel with her. Like the way that he makes the lightsaber smack into her head and the way he like holds her up as he like pulls the information on Luke from her mind. All that kind of stuff. It's very, very dominating. And mm-hmm. it's like a great testament to Ray's strength and heroism that even though she's made her suffer so terribly she just keeps on going and going and going she's like a dog <laughs> she keeps on going back for more even though she isn't about to win yeah I think I don't know I, I really lo- love Snoke in this scene because obviously he's disgusting and awful but so much of what he says is like really important to understanding Ray and Kylo's dynamic mm. So when he says, like, she has so much strength, darkness rises and light to meet it, I warned Kylo that as he grew stronger, his equal in the light would rise. So Mm. this is like, this to me is almost more interesting and more the point of Rey's origins than all the parentage stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah, this is the key to why she's so powerful, in my opinion. Yeah, and I... I like this stuff because it's very like red string of they and it's almost like soulmate AU. Yeah. <laughs> People read soulmate AU fix where it's like she she is his other half, basically. I mean that's what Snoke's saying. Yeah. That she was created or at least she grew strong in the force to be his balance, his equal. Yeah. Um so it's all very like, oh the prophecies and like this was just almost destiny. Um mm. so yeah, I feel like that is far more interesting than who her parents were because yeah that was never the point for Rey is that she has this power and it's connected her with Kylo Ren yeah absolutely and I really love that Snoke's mistake is that he completely underestimates the human element in all this so he thinks that Kylo's compliment in the force was going to be Luke like he never for a moment imagined that it would be just this humble young scavenger girl like who's much more of a peer she's not like on a higher level than kylo she's on the same level and yeah like i think that's all down to like snoke's arrogance because i think he's so much about like oh matey skywalker blood and lineages and grand destinies and prophecies and stuff because it's made clear that snoke he really doesn't 
give a crap about Ray. He doesn't want to like, keep her around as his apprentice or any of that bullshit. He All he wants by the end of that scene is for Kylo to kill her and prove his devotion to him. And, of course, Snoke's mistake lies in that he completely underestimated what else would happen through this bond forming between Rey and Kylo. Mm-hmm. And that Kylo's allegiances, they flipped, in that he's he answers to Rey much more than he answers to Snoke, basically. Yeah, honestly, this cluelessness from older figures kind of reminds me of like the Jedi Council with Anakin and Padme, just yes. like completely misunderstanding what would happen if you put these two attractive young people together yeah in, in a Palpatine way probably knew exactly what he was doing yeah but i don't think the jedi did it makes snoke look like a bit of a loser to be honest especially given that like fancy schmancy golden robe he wears yeah. <laughs> he clearly isn't like he, the hugh hefner of the galaxy <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like that moment when kylo actually kills snoke oh it's so so good it's so good like because even even though they basically show the audience that it's coming with him turning saber people still like you know when he actually does it it's still like a shock somehow for me the exact moment when most people like gasp and like actually broke into applause at the premiere which was amazing is when ray's hand holds up and she grabs the lightsaber that seems to be the moment where it really sinks in for the audience what's actually happened so I think it is such a shock moment. And, oh, the way that Ray rises and the way that they look at each other and, oh, it's so romantic. Yeah, it lingers there for a few seconds as they look at each other like, whoa, what did we just do? Yeah. And then they have to turn their backs on each other and get out of here. Yeah. So it's interesting. I've seen some people suggest that, like, Snoke's murder is part of some kind of, like, elaborate master plan on, like, Kylo's parts or both of their parts. But I think it's very clear that it's something that's much more spontaneous and much more like emotion driven. Because I think the seeds of resentment are planted from the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I don't absolutely. Think it's like, yeah, it's not like orchestrated because the yeah. look on Kylo's face when Snoke reveals that he's the one who bridged the minds. Mm. It's like, wait, what now? I thought this was between us. Yeah. You know, it is like this betrayal. It's like that violation of intimate moments. Yeah. Right? That they thought exactly. it was between them and they were seeing these things in each other and like touching each other. Yeah. And apparently Snoke was there all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I think that really angers him. I think that was probably lo- the final nail in Snoke's coffin, to be honest, at that point. Because mm. it's like, how f- effing dare you? Like, this is something special I had. This is something pure. And now you've tainted it. And I think it is about that desire to remove that taint. <laughs> To an extent. Obviously, it's not just because of that. There's all this like build-up and all these years of resentment and abuse and cruelty that he's had to deal with. Um, but again, we'll cover that more in the Kaido episode. Um, but yeah, it's also about that violation of that intimate connection with Rey. Um, and yeah, oh, when they actually start fighting, man. Susie, that is such an amazing sequence precisely because it's always personal. Like, it's also, like, really well, like, choreographed and, like, really, like, hot-pounding and effective to watch this action. But the reason you feel so invested in it is that you know how much these two people care about each other. Like, and that's yeah. always the point. There's, um, there's so much going on there that it's going to be impossible for us to break down until we have like the Blu-ray or frame-by-frame stuff. But yeah, 
yeah, I love the the back and forth like perspectives, but also that like you have Kylo looking over at Rey, even though she's only fighting one one of the guards at that point of thing, and he has three on him. Mm. But like he sees her get hurt, and it's like that makes him then like focus and try to get himself out of that situation, and they're like helping each other, and then she throws in the saber at the end, and it's like really like symbiotic and kind of draws attention to the connection that they have yeah exactly and like i said there's like a particular shot where um like ray like kylo is fighting like three dudes but he is shown very explicitly looking at ray and like the camera even zooms in on ray to represent his perspective and how he's fixated on her and he sees that she's like just got a slash on her shoulder and then he fights so much harder he becomes mm. so much more aggressive and purposeful and driven and the implication there is he has purpose because he's fighting for her because he like wants to help her and wants to save her because one of like the things that annoys me is how many people have read like the subsequent turnaround after the fight scene is oh Kylo never cared about Ray he was just using her to stage a coup that the whole emotional weight is that they think they're fighting for the same thing and then they yeah. realize they're not and they break each other's hearts exactly thank you like otherwise it otherwise it would be so flat like what would be the point of it all yeah i i think maybe because it does play that way for some people that's why they're left confused and they don't understand what the film is trying to achieve if that was really what you thought ray would just look a total idiot yeah like ray has to have been right to an extent otherwise you know it's the same way like leia has to be right when she says there's still light in him luke has to be right when he says you know no one's ever really gone like they all have to have moments where they're not yeah just you know otherwise like that's not how you tell a story yeah it's not about making the characters like morons basically yeah so that's that's what brings this its emotional significance because they are a team just for this brief moment and then it's snatched away again and it is tragedy exactly romantic tragedy (laughs) (laughs) Satanic um, pals. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Should we talk about how sexual the throne room fight scene is? Or I mean, which, is that going too far? No, it's not going too far. It's it's all been building up to this, right? It yeah. is like this real catharsis. Yeah, like it's. I think I mentioned it earlier, but like DJ refers to that red room as well. Actually, he, I think he's referring to the whole of the supremacy as like Snook's boudoir. Um, but. Yeah, like that's like just a jokey turn of phrase in that moment. But I do think that's also conscious because, yeah, it's almost like a kind of honeymoon suite, to be honest, mm-hmm. in the movie. And yeah, I don't want to go into detail about what certain things represent and stuff. But if you go in aware of the fact there is sexual subtext in the movie, you will not unsee it after seeing that fight scene. Like, it's very, like, sexually charged and erotic in, mm-hmm. yeah, ways that I don't want to be delicate about. But, yeah, it's all there, and Ryan knew what he was doing, and he's a madman, and I love that he did this with Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's perfect, because, like I've said before, it is done in a way that if people don't want to see it, or they just genuinely don't, that's totally fine. You know, you yeah. can read it on a different level if you like. Mm. But, yeah, just the way certain movements go, and the way it ends... okay Uh, yeah (laughs) like you i don't want to spell it out because it it ruins it in a way but just the way that she throws in the saber at the end and then things finish 
Yeah. And the expressions they have at the end, looking at each other very intently. Yes, exactly. And then it all goes to crap because, of course, Kylo, being an idiot Skywalker, has to ruin it all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) This is so sad. When I was watching it in the theatre, I was like, no! going so well yeah but it had to we have to go into oh, yeah, a third yeah. movie thinking that all hope is lost yeah, they have yeah. to give us the pain oh yeah no i'm chill about it it's just emotional ro- roller coaster you know yeah in the best way like yeah after the fight has concluded we have kyle staring at snoke's dead body for a long moment and then ray of course her first instinct is to get the firing to stop on the fleet she wants to save the shuttles and Kylo, for his part, starts his grandstanding speech slash proposal, and yeah, it's the start of everything going wrong, basically. Um, yeah, so should I be Kylo and you be Ray? Sure. Okay. So I'll start from the beginning, right? Uh, yeah. Ben, the fleet. Order them to stop firing. There's still time to save the fleet. Ben. It's time to let old things die. Snoke, Skywalker, the Sith, the Jedi, the Rebels. Let it all die. Ray, I want you to join me. We can rule together and bring a new order to the galaxy. Don't do this, Ben. Please don't go this way. No, no! You're still holding on. Let go. Do you want to know the truth about your parents? Or have you always known and you've just hidden it away? You know the truth. Say it. Say it. They were nobody. They were filthy junk traders who sold you off for drinking money. The dead in a pauper's grave in the Jakku Desert. You have no place in this story. You come from nothing. You're nothing. But not to me. Join me. Please. The please kills me. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Like, seriously... Anyone who thinks that he was just stringing her along, just using her, you have to be ignoring that, please. If he he wouldn't give her a choice if he was being villainous in this. This is the thing, right? He's offering her a place as an equal. Yes. And it's obviously he's going about it the wrong way. There's no <laughs> debate about that. He he still wants to well, he doesn't explicitly lay it all out, but like saying like, let the rebels die. There's no way Ray is going to agree to that. Yeah. Okay, because that's her friends. That's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but he is saying we can rule the galaxy together because he recognizes their equals, and yeah, he he's obviously wrong. Yeah. But he's not doing it to be villainous. He genuinely thinks that this is what's going to happen because of what he saw. Yeah. And I think Kylo, he's all about like using like hard truths to shape your future. Because, like, for him, I guess the hard truth was that final rejection from his family when his uncle stood over him with a lightsaber lit, you know? So that moment was like, okay, well, I guess if my family rejects me in this very emphatic, clear way, then screw all of you. I'm going to go to Snoke and do my own thing. Like, so yeah, bye-bye. So that was kind of his mentality then. I don't think it's really matured that much. So he thinks that when he points out the extent of Ray's rejection to her and what he had this vision of, I think that when he says that, 
he thinks that her reaction will be similar to his reaction when he was younger and that she'll just be like yeah like I feel all this anger and pain at this horrible truth so yeah I am gonna just reject everything else and be angry and I'm going to move ahead with you because yeah we have something good and we're perhaps the purest thing we have we have each other and oh it's all so tragic <laughs> this is all built on these really like deep running misunderstandings and traumas and all this pain that they need to negotiate and deal with and kylo in particular is just going about it all wrong and yeah yeah <laughs> it really is such tragedy because it, the great irony here is that he's like pushing her to let go but as she does she realizes that she can't do this and and doesn't need this because yeah. she is coming into her own like she this is not you know it, it's about the choices that she makes mm. she's not dictated her destiny isn't dictated by the past like he he keeps saying let the past die but he's the one who needs to let go yeah and and she's the one who's making these right choices. And that's what he needs too. He needs to see her do this. So yeah. as painful as it is for us who want to see everything worked out between them in the end, um, this is like a necessary step because she can't humor him here. Yeah, exactly. There can't be any compromise with this. And like when Kylo tells her, you have no place in this story, that is wrong. <laughs> that is so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a part of that I think is like Ryan trying to speak through the audience through the character. Like, yes. Because Rey is an outsider in the story, but she's also not because she's the protagonist. So mm. how it, it starts people asking these questions like, okay, so how is she going to fit in to the story where Kylo Ren is the Skywalker? Mm, exactly. Like, so. And I think for Rey in that moment, the realization for her is, I, actually, I do have a place and that's with the Resistance and I can be a, a help there and I can do good there. Because it's the real moment that seals it for her. Okay, Luke Skywalker failed the resistance. Ben Solo definitely ain't helping the resistance. I need to help the resistance. That's my place in the story. Yeah, and I of course that's there's, what there's, hits her. Yeah, there's further tragedy with the way it goes down with them reaching. Like she grabs the saber. She instead of like talking to him and maybe yeah. trying to reconcile it. And it's not like I'm pointing out like that Ray did something wrong here. It's the characters playing out this tragedy of miscommunication and there are so many layers as you said mm. because of course you can point to any of these things and say if only they had discussed this more yes <laughs> and you could trace that all the way back to ben as a child probably with him yeah. and han and leia that everything just happened it all snowballed and this is what we're left with and somehow you have to think they're going to resolve the mess but the, the past generation is gone now like it really is down to to Ray and Ben to figure this out between themselves. Yeah. Um, it's like a series of tragic miscommunications, basically. Yeah, and the way the the saber splits between them feels like it's it's further illustrating that they're equals in the force. Mm. But it's also kind of a callback to the force which I think it was, like the force kind of splitting the ground between them in yeah. the forest. Oh definitely. and it's like yeah, sorry, you two are gonna this is gonna keep happening until you two find a way to reconcile. Mm. and i may be reading a bit too much into it but i think that is is also significant that in the force awakens when ray summons the saber flies straight to her no hesitation mm. like it's very quick and definitive whereas in this film like the force is kind of undecided like they're both straining equally hard and they're equal in power so the force is just right in the middle between them and there's no 
like outright winner in that situation because they're both a match to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that in The Force Awakens, when Rey was summoning the lightsaber to herself, she was so clearly righteous in that moment that, yeah, of course, the Force is going to side with her. That is what needed to happen. She needed to get that saber. Whereas in The Last Jedi, they've both come a bit further. And there is kind of, like you were saying about the miscommunication thing, there's kind of issues on both sides. <laughs> so it's not quite so clear-cut anymore because that's been the whole point of the movie, this like increase in ambiguity. And like Kylo's plans, obviously he's wrong to like want to destroy all the rebels still, but he isn't like saying, oh, we're going to set up a dictatorship and oppress all the people and haha, live in extreme luxury at the pauper's expense. Loss. Like, obviously we don't know what kind of ruler he's going to be, but he doesn't specifically seem to have evil intent. He's not like an emperor cackling over unlimited power at this point. You know, like there mm. seems to be something pure about his intentions. Like at some level, even if that's just on the level of I want to be with you because I have these genuine feelings and emotions in regards to you when it comes to Ray. But yeah, it's not so clear cut, so there's no definitive winner. And in the end, the force is just like done with it and knocks them both out. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously when he wakes up, he assumes like the role of supreme leader but yeah is that because the, at that point there's no other option like ray's left him mm. and he's feeling really angry about that because he thinks that he was in the right mm. and wait this isn't the way the vision told me it was gonna go go um, i think that's all desperation but right. um yeah we'll talk about that in a kind of episode yeah sorry no worries um, it's so easy to get drawn into these directions it's so exciting because again like when they wake he wakes up ray's gone already so it's almost like there's it we won't get it but there's like a cut scene there of her leaving him yeah and i she you know she didn't kill him yeah like she didn't make the choice that luke made like okay there's this dark person here that i could end right now she flees and leaves his saber like jane flee in rochester (laughs) (laughs) and yeah goes back to the resistance and obviously she's not happy with him Mm. but it kind of tells you that ray is not going to be able to kill kylo yeah and he's not gonna be able to kill her like that's that that isn't how the story ends that isn't the resolution oh i just beheaded him (laughs) solved the problem got rid of all those confusing sexual feelings i think ryan said in an interview i don't have the quote to hand but he said since the movie came out that like he's he was getting them to the point where it's not just like kylo's the bad guy and ray is going to be able to kill him yeah i i remember reading something to that effect yeah i love ryan um (laughs) yeah so then ray after this she does vanish from the movie for long stretches yeah one of my criticisms I feel um, like this is almost what they were concerned about happening with The Force Awakens, that Luke would come in and steal the show. Because yes. he kind of does have to, to an extent. Um, and I, I'm very happy with Rey's heroine journey in The Last Jedi, and I feel like it flows beautifully from The Force Awakens, and I feel like by the end she's got pretty far in that she is, you know, she has that scene with Leia, and yeah. she's kind of all like, okay, how do we do this? Like, she's resolved um but it's just like how would you how would you do this differently that's the thing mm. like because luke has to have his send-off 
Yeah. And you do have to have that with him and Kylo. So I, I yeah. don't know. No, it is really hard. And like you say, I think that Luke, for many reasons, he needed to have that big moment in the sun with Kylo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of inevitable that Ray was going to be on the sidelines more. But I, I am happy with what we got. I just maybe would have liked to have seen a bit more of it. Yeah, so when Ray pops up again, she's on the Falcon and she's a gunner, actually. I think that's the first time I've seen her in the gunner position on the Falcon. And she's pretty good at it. She takes out lots of ties, saves Rose, actually. They don't have any face-to-face interaction in this film, but Ray does basically save Rose's life, which I like seeing like ladies sticking up for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Ray in these scenes at the end, she's very much her old self. She's very like sunny and cool. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Without actually saying cool, because this isn't a carry on film. Um, but yeah, like she's a much more like simplistic and childlike version of herself, I guess I'd say. And nothing wrong with that, but it just, feels jarring on first watch because you've had all this nuance and all this complexity building and building and building that then it feels almost sad to have that stripped back did you kind of feel that Kirsty, when you saw it for the first time i did but i also kind of understood what they were doing because both kylo and ray like revert to their coping mechanisms right Mm. like this is kind of the ray that we saw and presumably she was for 15 years um and she's had this they both feel betrayed mm. and angry and hurt and confused and like what the hell just happened. So they're forever changed by what's gone on between them. But right now it's like, okay, I just have to focus on my friends. I have to compartmentalize this. Um, yeah. And I almost felt it was so over the top that I felt like Ryan really was making a point with it. Yeah, exactly. It's very exaggerated. And um, yeah, so Ray, she turns up at the rocky cave exit where all the resistance are trapped and this is as Luke is having is having his thing with Kylo um, and she remembers her lesson which involved lifting rocks even though Luke what I assume is irony was a bit dismissive about the whole lifting rocks thing in the end <laughs> lifting rocks is what saves the day making things float yeah Exactly. And I'm going to choose to believe that that is actually a point about how you can't trust masters to know everything because making things float can be very useful. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's actually a really lovely moment when she makes those rocks lift because she really is like this miracle worker in that moment. And the way everyone looks at her with that awe in their faces is lovely because you can see there that there's the beginnings of this new legend, this legend of Rey just mm. as there's this legend of Luke Skywalker. And yeah, and that hug with Finn. Oh, those warm fuzzies. That just looks like the nicest hug ever. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. And I think you really see Daisy and John come through when they embrace as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's see really how lovely. glad they are. Yeah, it's really sweet. Um, yeah, and then there's a moment when Ray is helping resistance people onto the Falcon and then the bond triggers and kylo at this point he's been completely owned by luke and thoroughly shamed basically and he looks up and sees her and you can see this like i'll describe it as tentative hope would you say that's accurate kirsty yeah he's like yeah he got his wide eyes and his pout yeah 
He's like, oh, Ray, please, 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 please. And then she shuts the door on him. Yeah. She's not impressed. No, she looks very stern. Yeah. Looks very stern and very disappointed. You think about what you did. Yeah, exactly. Time out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's an interesting scene on many, many levels. And I've seen lots of interpretations of it. Like, I've seen lots of people suggest that the fact that Ray closed the door means the bond's gone forever. I'm not sure that's how it works. Yeah, I I don't think that's how it works for a start. It's obviously artistic license to even have her closing the door as a symbol for it, because really, it wouldn't affect his view of her. <laughs> it's not like the door is literally between them, so she closes it and then he can't see her anymore. Yeah, it's a bit it's, embarrassing, it's... actually, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just going to awkwardly walk away now, Kylo, forget I'm here, okay? Right, bye, 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 bye. Um... Yes, that's quite funny now I think about it. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's the point of Ray saying, I'm not dealing with you right now. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. And that comes through very strongly. And that's what he deserves after what he did, to be frank. Um, because he has been a very naughty boy, as Mark Hamill would probably put it. And misbehaved greatly. But I don't think there's anything definitive about it. And really, no one can say what that does or does not mean, because what that does or does not mean it depends is entirely up to J.J. Abrams in his mm-hmm. script. Like, Ryan, he did a lot of things in such a way where it's possible for J.J. to take them wherever he wants, which is really nice of him. Yeah, I think it's going to be a while before, if, if ever, depending on what kind of leaks and spoilers we get for Nine, and obviously we're still way out from that because they don't even start filming until right around june i think um god help us (laughs) but i don't think we're going to be able to predict it in a way that's like we were able to predict a lot of things that happened in eight partly because Mm. things progressed so much more than i thought they were going to do in one movie which is great news for us yeah but also the yeah the way that ryan leaves it i think you can think in broad strokes in terms of yes i still think he'll be redeemed and yes i think they're going to reconcile in some way but we have no clue as to how that stuff is going to go down because yeah. the way The Force Awakens left off, you were left on this clear cliffhanger with Ray and Luke. So you could say, well, obviously Luke is going to let her down and this connection with Kylo is going to play a big part. Yeah. But really, there's not an awful lot here beyond, okay, well, Kylo's supreme leader and Ray is the Jedi for the Resistance, but there's not a clear premise. Yeah, exactly. So we'll it's going to be a fresh start in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, like, fascinating to think about Nine. And obviously it's too early to think about it in too much detail. And, yeah, there's definitely going to be clear limits to what we know about Nine. <laughs> Depending on spoilers and based on precedent, I really don't expect much, if anything. Um, I really hope we get something. Oh, my God. <laughs> the rate's going to be unbearable. I do think, yeah, I think maybe, like, the official stuff that comes out is going to more clearly draw attention to the Ray and Carlo dynamic than they have before because for obvious reasons they couldn't point to that as the clear direction of the story but The Last Jedi really confirms it as the key central dynamic relationship yeah I think the new materials might need to just really like drive that home for people who didn't already pick up on it in the film because there are people who didn't um so yeah it's only so much you can lead people to the water (laughs) To be honest, like, do you really have to bring things down to the lowest common denominator? I think sometimes, yes. <laughs> it, it, 
the film itself spells it out. So. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, seriously, I'm not worried anymore. Anyway, the last moments with Rey. Um, so she's on the Falcon. And there's a cute moment where she's reunited with BB-8. And she toys with his little antenna. Which is really cute. Because she did and then that she the meets BB-8's dad. She does. <laughs> she meets BB-8's daddy. But yeah, I, I think um, people have also picked up on the fact that like um, Ray says, I'm Ray, and Poe says, I know, um, in a much more interesting way than that, of course. It is like a nice rounding off of Ray's arc in the story in that oh, yeah. it has been about her discovering her identity and the fact that she's just Ray is enough because Poe yeah. just saw what she can do. Oh yeah, totally. You know, she doesn't need a fancy last name for people to know who she is and what she's capable of. And I think that's kind of the point that's being delivered through the dialogue there and i think it's about establishing that new legend of ray the mm. fact that ray is already legendary in her own right that she is known as ray yeah and i think that's so lovely and wonderful because if you think about it the last two years of discourse a depressingly small percentage of people have actually been talking about ray herself as a character and the things that might happen to her and her journey like it's all been about who are ray's parents always been about that step one remove from Ray herself so I think there's something very powerful about that reminder that I'm Ray and yeah I know who you are it's not about oh Ray apprentice of Luke Skywalker or Ray daughter of so-and-so it's just Ray and like yeah. you said Kirsty that's enough yeah and you know I can understand to an extent why people were focused on her identity in terms of her parents because part of Ray's story is to let that go and if the audience is identifying with Ray and her struggles the audience has to let it go too. Mm. Uh, I just wish it hadn't been such an emphasis because you could see Daisy was getting frustrated with it. Yeah she's probably going to want to take out a shotgun if people are still <laughs> asking was Kylo lying about your parents and I'm sure people will ask that so I've seen that as a big question and <laughs> But Ray says it first. I know. They were nobody. And really, there's nothing in The Force Awakens to, to show you that she didn't already know that. She did yeah. know it deep down. She was just repressing the trauma. Exactly. And I think that to go back on that at this stage, that would completely undermine the whole point of The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. And that that would completely undermine the whole point of Ray's arc. And yeah, I just want people to understand that. <laughs> Well, Daisy said from the beginning that she knew who Rose's parents were going to be and that the scene itself, when it was revealed, was going to be very emotional. And I don't think people... You, you couldn't know this before it happened, but now in hindsight, looking at that scene, yes, it's very emotional, but yeah. it's because of what's happening between her and Kylo. Yeah. It's not about the fact of her parentage itself. It's not like Luke sits her down and says, baby girl, I love you so much. I missed you. Can you imagine if he was her dad after being an asshole to her the whole time? <laughs> oh my god. So much cringe. She'd literally be the worst dad ever. All that psychological Go away. abuse. <laughs> World's best dad? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then there's a nice little contemplative moment when Ray looks over and she sees Finn turned into Rose. And she's a really... Like interesting expression. How did you read her expression when she's looking at Finn and Rose? It's obviously ambiguous, and I'm looking forward to getting a greater insight, shall we say, from like the novelization, which I'm sure we will get. But yeah, how did you read Ray's response to Finn and Rose in that scene? 
it's almost like a sad little smile like she's happy to see finn's made this connection but she's feeling a bit far removed and like okay still a bit out bit out of place here um Mm. and that's why when you know leia comes and speaks to her afterwards it's like oh i'm gonna focus on what happened with luke and how how do we move forward from this because so much has happened since she left finn you know yeah it really marks the the change yeah yeah and Um, no one knows about her connection with kylo the only yeah. people you knew were Snoke and Luke, and they're gone. So Yeah, it's kind of like a dirty little secret, isn't it? It is. Like I feel like there's going to have to be this weird dramatic thing where Finn finds out about it, and then it's like, but don't you remember what he did? Oh, God. Yeah, I'd love to see that side <laughs> of the plot in the next one, but I can't um, like, think about that too much. I, obviously, I'm biased and coming at it from a certain perspective, but I really like to think that like Ray was in almost like even subconsciously thinking about kylo she looked at finn tending to rose so if you think the last time she saw kylo ren apart from that force bond moment was when he was lying unconscious and she like left him for Mm. good and justified reasons but she's seen all that like affection and care between these two people and I think a part of her might be thinking in another world that would be me and ben yeah i think it's that like oh wow that's that seems so simple between them like yeah oh my god aside from you know rose being unconscious (laughs) but that finn has found someone to care for him and she must know at that point that rose saved him because yeah that, that there's this mutual thing there and it's it's there and that's great for them but hers is a lot more complicated for obvious reasons yeah exactly complicated and tempestuous it's complicated. So yeah. And like you alluded to, Kirsty, I think it's lovely that um, the film ends with Ray and Leia together. And I think Leia, yeah, Leia takes Ray's hand, doesn't she? As Ray's holding the broken lightsaber. And yeah, she assures Ray, we have everything we need. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's beautiful. And like, again, another slight issue, something I'd like to see rectified in episode nine, if possible that's the only interaction Ray has with another woman in the entire mm-hmm. film. Yeah. So these films aren't the greatest for that sort of thing. But like I wouldn't like want to say no to Ray and Kylo or Ray and Luke stuff. So I'm not about to like go on like a big grandstanding moment about that. But yeah, like I love that there's this moment of connection between these two women and that's a real callback I think to how they connect at the end of The Force Awakens as well. And I think that's lovely. Mm-hmm. yeah maybe we'll get some rain rose stuff i think that's more yes. likely now that she's with the resistance yeah definitely but, yeah for obvious reasons we're not going to have more rain layer yeah no, so it, i'm glad it makes it more precious the time we do have with the both of them mm-hmm. right gosh so much <laughs> i know and i'm sure we've missed out on a ton of things and people are like why didn't you mention this yeah I especially love that we barely talked about race parentage, which <laughs> well, well, we did, actually I think we did talk about it quite a lot, but um, like probably not in the same framework that a lot of other discussions would be held about it. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've talked about it in a way that the narrative does, that it's yes. it's key to her arc in terms of letting go of the past and re- like claiming her own identity for herself. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, and I love that it's it's used 
in terms of Ray and Carlo's dynamic because it mm. brings these parallels but also shows the contrast in terms of how they deal with their trauma. Oh, definitely. And that's so important for the storytelling and where everything goes. Mm. Oh, so glorious. I love talking about this movie. Just talking to you about it, like I already feel like it's enriched my appreciation for it even more. And then particularly for Ray's arc, because obviously that's what we've been talking about. So yeah. thank you. I I love Ray's arc so much because it's really hard with like female heroes sometimes you worry that there's just not going to be this level of nuance there and they're not really going to take risks with them and i know people are saying oh i really wish that she'd taken his hand because that would have been different and that would have been riskier for a female lead but it's not the story they're telling Mm. and i feel like they really do take risks with ray Mm. um she does a lot of pretty shocking things and she makes mistakes but i think they're things that are going to turn out not to be mistakes in in the grand scheme of things yeah. It's all it's all going to have happened for a reason. Yeah. And and she learns from each lesson. Yeah. And other people learn from what she does too. Yeah. Like she she really does help the Skywalkers so much. And I know that's not her role, but it's it's part of it and it's why she's part of this story. Yeah. Why they're part of hers. Like it's obvious that she's connected to them. Yeah. And if we're thinking about like Ray in relation to Luke, like in relation to the function that Luke served in the original trilogy, if you think about what Luke did in The Empire Strikes Back, he went off to face Vader in The Empire Strikes Back, um, and that ended badly for him. <laughs> that did not end well. He obviously didn't go to face Vader with like the whole, I'm going to bring you back from the dark side thing, because that was only Luke after he'd found out Vader was his father. But just in very broad terms, the protagonist has an encounter with the antagonist and it ends badly. And in, again, in very broad terms, Ray has an encounter with Kylo and while it's very, very different and all about different tropes and different archetypes, it also ends badly. So I really do like to think that in the final film, with the whole mirroring thing, then things will ultimately end happily and i think they probably need to end happily just for the sake of the trilogy as well so i've seen like some suggestions like oh the first order should still be in power and kylo ren should be more evil and bitter than ever that can't happen now though because you've got this second part you know second part of what well this is this the second movie already ends in that oh sorry (laughs) He's, he's already the supreme leader and people perceive him as like lost and evil so oh yeah yeah exactly like it's narratively redundant basically yeah like it's like we've already had the tragic element it comes back to that people article we were talking about at the beginning right that they're calling it romantic tragedy and it is for now but because of that it can't be that moving forward exactly it's got to evolve beyond that and in a way like because of luke's failings and how leia has lost all hope by the end in terms of her son it really is now on ben and and Ray, even though I know she tried and failed to save him because it just didn't work out that way in the second part, but through their interactions, it almost is like the weight of the Skywalker legacy on Ben Solo is for him to redeem himself and ultimately to redeem that line. Yeah. And that is um, going to happen through Ray. I don't, when I say that, I don't mean Ray's going to keep on trying and trying and trying until he finally realizes the error of his ways and turns good. Because I don't think it can be that kind of story of her just dragging him back to the light side. 
because she tried that and it didn't work. Well, he has to make the choice willingly, right? He has to see it for himself. Yeah, he has to make that choice. He has to make the move. Um, But I think that journey is still going to involve Rey. It's just she's not going to be the one responsible for it. Kylo is going to be responsible for himself. Mm. And I am so excited. And I'm so glad JJ is doing it, not Colin Trevorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of faith in JJ to pick this up because he must have had ideas from the start. I know they probably did have very broad strokes of what would happen, um, but not like specific plot points. But he Mm. must have been thinking about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. I think we should probably close off here. We've been talking for almost four hours. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's freaking ridiculous, man. Uh, But yeah, it's been a very fruitful discussion, I feel. And most, I I don't think most of that was actual podcasting time, but we'll see when I put it together. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, yeah, it's like it's... back to our older episodes where we would just God. talk for a lot. Because there's so much now. We have all yeah. this material. Exactly. It's fun. Uh, yeah. So I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Christy? I'm Basta LeBay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.